He enters my bed at night and takes from me that which is consecrated to my divine bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And what form does this incubus take? Welcome to Won't Stay Dead, the podcast that explores the murky world of cult and horror films. Uh, this week, or this episode, we are looking at Ken Russell's The Devils, uh, which is kind of a controversial film that was made in 1971 and has kind of been released in various censored forms just as a result of its kind of violence and kind of blasphemous imagery. But uh, yeah, I'll start by introducing the panel. So to my left is Mr. David Hanna. Hello. And to my right is Mr. Paul Doran. Hello. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I don't think any of us had seen The Devils before before we decided, or before Dee chose it. I think I'd seen bits of it, but like never. I think I must have seen like bits of it, because it was shown on Channel 4 maybe about 10 years ago or something, I found out. Right. So yeah, Mark Not, Kermode. Yeah, it, yeah. So I must have like seen parts of it before, because some bits of it were familiar. So it must have been one of those ones where I was just fucking around late at night and yeah. didn't, didn't know what it was. Yeah. And because I joined it in the middle, I must have turned it over. But I've definitely seen bits and pieces before, but first time I've seen it in its proper entirety. Like, so. Yeah, well, I, I actually I thought I had seen bits of it, but actually it was a complete surprise to me. Um, uh, visually and thematically even. Uh, actually, not it's not really what I thought it would be. But So you probably hadn't seen it? No, I, I don't think I think I was mistaken for something else, um, which uh, I'll possibly come to later because it might be my choice for next week. But okay. I don't know. <laughs> next time, <laughs> we'll, I'll think about that throughout the the course of tonight. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I suppose I'll start off by saying we're uh, won't stay dead or won't stay dot com. Uh, so there's links to all the podcast and Twitter and SoundCloud and all, all stuff there. Um, so we might as well start off with the beers, I guess, lads. Yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Crazy P, do you want to go first? Yeah, why not? I think, I think you've pretty got the oh, biggest haul. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I went kind of wild. Um, See an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, I know, for God's sake. Uh, so I have... Like Oliver Reed? <laughs> like Oliver Reed, this is, this is exactly why I'm buying all this beer, because I want to get as drunk as Oliver Reed. Um, firstly, a profanity stout which is deeply irreverent, uh, apparently, <laughs> from Williams Brothers, they're Scottish, and it's, uh, well, it's a deeply irreverent and profane film, which uh-huh. is just lovely. And uh, I also oh, have some uh, Carmelitten Cluster Gold, which uh, I assumed would have maybe been brewed, from the name, I assumed would have been brewed by Carmelite nuns, but actually there's a couple of priests or monks in the front uh, of the label so who knows but uh, <laughs> it, uh, it seems like like God had something to do with it anyway a uh, couple of bottles of that uh, and uh, Steenbrugge uh, which 
is Brutnet Abbey of St. Peter. So monks, nuns, take her, take her, leave a bit of, <laughs> bit of something and much the same really. And some Lucifer Belgian Ale as well uh, because Lucifer devils. And actually as well as that, <laughs> I have some Punk IPA for no real reason. Um, How can yeah. you tie that in? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I suppose he's a bit of a rapple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Grandier, so. Grandier is uh, is the original punk, <laughs> and uh, and some Sierra Nevada paleal. I couldn't really do other than uh, that girl, Grandier's first, uh, well, not first love, but uh, his earlier mistress in the film uh, has a pale face, so paleal. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So nicely rescued. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, young David. Uh, I think I got a few the same as Paul in there, so I went for the obvious Lucifer as well. Classic. It just felt like I had to. Um, I got uh, Bishop's finger. Oh yeah. He's, he's fingered by the clergy as a <laughs> yeah. master of witchcraft. And Bishop's yeah. finger's good. It tastes like toffee or something. Yeah, I don't. It's, nice. it's been a long time since I've had it. Yeah. I know. I went for Libertine Black Hill because so as Grand Jay's yeah. a bit of a Libertine, you know. Of course. Doesn't like those celibacy laws. No. Uh, <laughs> and I went for that steam bruise uh, as well. Cool. It's got a bishop on the front. I so. oh, went for the double. <laughs> okay, yeah, so Paul, you've got the, the. I got the double. The, I've got the. I think I've got the. You've got like the, the hefe? The, the I nearly went yeah. for that, but then. Yeah. I don't know why I picked You've got the brown or the brune or whatever. Any mini mine, though, I guess. Uh, and then I have one. Well, I've got two more, but um, I got Bareface Lager because he's got. A beard. Well, it's more of a mustache. Yeah, yeah. He's got facial hair. That's all that matters. <laughs> um, and then I have this Carlsberg because we had a house party and it was left over. <laughs> and uh, you can get it. It's widely available in England, where it was filmed. <laughs> <laughs> Class. That'll, that'll do. And it's horrible. I don't really want to drink it, but it's there. It's har- horrible, like Cardinal Richelieu. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think it's just like an appointment to the Royal Danish Court, and there's kind of courty stuff happens in. <laughs> yeah. We're in the French court, so it's. Yeah. Like, Who drinks this? I don't know. I don't know. In, uh, when I was in Malaysia, it was the only, only beer you could get anywhere on tap, but they brewed it in Singapore, I think. And it was much, much nicer than, <coughs> uh, than the crap you get here. Like. Well, I had harp left over as well, but um, it's still sitting there. Um, yeah. yeah, I haven't tried it. Yeah, it's just it's been a long time since I've had harp. <laughs> it's actually I had harp recently, and it's it's not nice, but it is actually nicer than Carlsberg. And <laughs> really, yeah, I was surprised. It's not as as um, I don't know, not as watery and insipid. The odd time I would I would have harp from a pint bottle. It's not too bad. Yeah. From, not too bad from a pint bottle. Yeah. Um, okay, well, what have I got? Uh, well, I, I was at the uh, Belfast Beer Festival yesterday, so I kind of spent all my booze money for the weekend, so I had to kind of rely on what I already had and buy one or two other things. So the first thing is an Adnams Mosaic Pale Ale. I had some of that last night. Um, it's good? Yeah, I like it, yeah. It's, uh... um, and, well, Adnams is uh, a brewery based in England. Which is where Ken Russell's from. <laughs> it's filmed in Pinewood as well. Yeah, there you go. And this is this is like Suffolk, so it's kind of south south England, south of England. Um, and mosaic. I kind of thought that um, the Devils has kind of uh, subtextually anyway is a bit of a mosaic because there's kind of political <laughs> oh, subtext, religious yeah. subtext, yeah. 
sexual repression and corruption. <laughs> nice. So. Also, I thought uh, when I was drinking it last night, watching the film, actually, there the guy in the front on the label looks like he could be an extra in The Devils. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? He's kind of got... Yeah. Like a knight with a wee sword. Wee sword, and he looks like he's kind of dressed like a yeah, 17th century mm-hmm. person. Let's say. Oh, and he's got a bell. Yeah. Uh, he, he's kind of touching a bell, and then whenever uh, Grandier yeah. rings the bell at the. That's right. It's like a, it's like a slightly fruitier uh, punk IPA. I think. Uh, and also, like Paul, I've got the uh, Carmelitan Cluster Gold. Um, according to the back, it is brewed in like a kind of cluster, which I suppose was just it's the same word in English, isn't it? Cluster. 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 Yeah, yeah. cluster. Yeah. So we must, um, it must, um, yeah, it, it must be brewed by monks, as Paul said. And then I've kind of done a bit of a, a Paul. I've got a Kinnegar. <laughs> um, it's the devil's backbone, for obvious reasons. Um, I thought, firstly, the devil, the devils, and also it's brewed in the Republic of Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland is predominantly Catholic country, as <laughs> is the France in which the film takes place. Mm-hmm. And this is just sitting about. It's a bottle of Grand Marnier. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what is Grand Marnier? Grand Marnier is like an orange, orange-flavoured cognac from France. Uh, okay. um, so there you go, France. And shit. <laughs> Although the house is only as old as 1827, so 200 years after the yeah. events of the devils take place. But French nonetheless. You can't take that away from me. Ludon. We might yeah. take it away from you when you... Swig that through the table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looks like a lot of Grand Marnier to uh, get the orange liqueur. Quantro. Quantro. Oh, I had it ages ago. Mm. And the Grand Beauty, I think, might be orangey as well, is it? Maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, like we'll we'll maybe have a wee sip of that mm. when we take a break at some point. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with the mosaic. And Dave, you got. Uh. I'm going to get my horrible Carlsberg out of the way. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> then I can go on to the nice one. <laughs> yeah. So cheers, lads. Here's cheers. To, here's to blasphemy and censorship. Cheers. Absolutely. <laughs> Delicious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, young David, have you got something to test our, our wits? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I decided to do a quiz on the devil himself. It's the only sort of thing I could come up with, um, rather than a quiz about similar films or anything. So I guess I'll start. Um, I'm just going to do whoever answers first. Oh, so okay. I get these ones as the pressure. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think some of them you probably won't know, because I just I did a lot. Of, I was bored one day. I'm a break in work. I'm a, finally got access to the internet, so I just <laughs> went on Wikipedia. Um, cool. Okay, might as well start. I guess. Um, so how many questions did it do? One, two, three, four, five, six got six questions I think I can have we can have a tiebreaker possibly it's a good satanic number yeah. <laughs> right enough, actually. Yeah, that comes up does it yeah um, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's not the answer though but it's uh, it's in there right anyway I shall start um, okay in the Old Testament I think this, this is quite an easy one like I think the the devil makes his first appearance but what form does he take is an angel Sh- no a serpent yeah is it it's uh, one point to Paul <laughs> Okay. Um, also, he's an end. Okay. Yeah, in the Old Testament, it's in Genesis. It's the very first appearance. Yeah, I think it's then maybe I don't even know if it's later back. So does, does it? Does the Bible do a bit of a Quentin Tarantino and kind of jump yeah. jump back in time? I'm not too sure. I know. Uh, 
It's not talked about much. Do you yeah. want to dwell on this? But obviously, he must have been an angel before he was a serpent. He was. Well, yeah, but I don't think yeah. that part actually comes into the Bible. I think the Bible yeah. starts with the human with Genesis and then, experience. Yeah. yeah. So and then, I think that's talked about later by one of the apostles, possibly. Or maybe it's in one of the Old Testament books. Yeah. But I'm it not doesn't sure. get touched on as much yeah. as we come to know. But I think I cut that comes Yeah, by John Milton. Was John Milton. Which yeah. uh, brings on the second question. <laughs> what, what is the devil's name in John Milton's Paradise Lost? Lucifer? Lucifer. Oh, I think you even got it first. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, that's, that's one each. <laughs> okay. Um, ooh, this, this is going to be a tough one, which I don't think you'll get. But here we go. <laughs> cool. In what Gospels does the devil tempt Jesus? There oh, are shit. three. See how good you are in uh, RE. Matthew, look. And John? Oh, two out of three. Uh, <laughs> well. You can get the other one. Matthew, Luke, and... I don't know, I mean, Exodus. I'm just I'm just naming... That's not gospel. Is it not? <laughs> can, can I answer another? Can I answer yeah. again? Oh, Matthew, Luke, and Mark, then. Yay! Why, what are gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There were the uh, four accounts of... or Well, there were more than four, but the four sort of canon accounts of... Yeah. Um, of Jesus... So, like, all kind of Exodus and... God, I actually don't know any of the names of the Bible things. I don't really either. Are they uh, called... What are they called if they're not called Gospels? Like, you know... They're books. Just books. The Bible. Yeah. Um, So there's... Yeah. Yeah, they're just just books. And then the Gospel makes up um, a sort of separate part of the New Testament. Do you know all about the Bible and stuff? <laughs> no, not really. Like, uh, well, I mean, we did a lot of religion. <laughs> I went to a Catholic school, but um, so I, we had yeah. to learn a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. Actually, I think I've learned more about the Bible since I've sort of since I realised that I didn't agree with anything and mm. anything religious at all. <coughs> I sort of became more fascinated with religion the more I sort of yeah. rejected it. I think I'm the same. I started reading yeah. a book recently. It's called The History of Christianity. Just oh, yeah. out of sheer interest as to how it became the thing it is. Like. Is that that big, big oh, yeah, Dear awesome. McCulloch thing? Yeah, I think Yeah, I, I should have yeah. read that ages ago and I, I put it down and I have to get, get back into it. I think it, it's pretty solid so far yeah. like, or dense. So I think it's probably one of those ones I'll set it down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it looks looks like it's worth pursuing. Like. I haven't even got as far as Jesus appearing yet. I think. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. He <laughs> just got a got out of ancient Greece. I think. Or I don't think I even got that far. Yeah. <laughs> I think I got about forty pages into it. It's dense, but it is really, really interesting. Uh, well, eh, well done, Paul. It's uh, two one. Um, yeah, nice one, Paul. Cool. Okay, this kind of I think this is an awkward one, but we'll see how you do. Okay, according to the Bible, where is the devil usually found? Hell. Idle hands. <laughs> yeah. um, Surprisingly, it's not hell. Earth? Yeah. In the hearts of men? Uh, was it? No. Oh, the, right. the third part was wrong. Uh, I suppose you got it anyway. He's usually found roaming the earth and sometimes in heaven. Right. Yeah. There you go. It's never in the Bible. He's never in hell. Because I don't think hell is talked about much in the Bible. Or maybe not. No. Um, I think that was brought up in like medieval documents. And yeah. yeah. Like um, uh, maybe like uh, Dante... I don't think Dante invented it, but he, yeah, yeah. maybe he sort of uh, consolidated it. Or I think it's the sort of like about like it. Dante and Milton and everything, and mm-hmm. various mm-hmm. other writings. But uh, anyway, on to the Book of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the beast is mentioned displaying the mark six six six. But how many beasts does the beast have? Or beast? Sorry, how many heads does the beast have? Three. Mm-hmm. No. Four. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
12? Just stop answering. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I've heard this before, but I can't. Five? No. Two? No. I was just going to go, like, I don't think anybody's gotten this. It's uh, seven. Seven. At least it's uh, seven heads, which I think was supposed, according to historians, was supposed to represent the amount of uh, Caesars there had been or something. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, but there was only six at the time, but they were getting on to the seventh one. Yeah. But uh, Which kind of leads into the next one. Uh, so, was it two all? Was it? Or sorry, two no, one? No, two must, one? no, it must be three one. Or no, two one? No, I think it's two one. I don't two think it's one. one. So, yeah, this chance to build back. This is the last question. Cool. Um, okay. Who is the beast supposed to be, according to historians and some various uh, Christian scholars? Who is the beast supposed to be? Yeah. In, like, not in the Bible, but like in. Who did they think? Uh, I think it was John wrote it. Oh. Who did they think he was talking about? Am I right? Was it John? I don't know. Uh, was it like the. Uh, the, the, the an emperor, a Roman emperor, or something? Yeah. Can you get the specific? Emperor? Augustus? No. Uh, Give you a clue. It wasn't very nice to Christians. Uh, uh, um, I don't know. My, I mean, my, my history is pretty bad. If, uh, memory, um, or my pre-Christian history is even worse. He married a <coughs> horse, I think, at once. Yeah. Or he made a horse a general, I think. That could have been it, yeah. What? Ah, what I think he had a favourite. It wasn't like, Constantine. Constantine, it was, no, he, he was, was a Christian. Was, uh, the Romans Christian. Not Nero. Uh, fuck. Claudius? No. No. You have a final answer? Yeah. Damn it, I know this. <laughs> Augustine? Uh, is that the final answer? No, it's not Augustine. <laughs> Augustus? Is it? No, fuck it, I don't know. I don't know. No, I always thought it was like, um, like Admiral Nelson or Napoleon who had made a horse a general. No, probably not. I could have done it. Might have done as well. I think I think Napoleon might have done something mad like that as well. But I I I think that was like as a joke. But I think this. Yeah, that's what he said in retrospect. As a joke. Uh, no, I mean all, all the kind of Roman emperors. They have okay. fairly f- similar. They always have fairly easily rememberable names, but I can't yeah. think of any. Uh, I mean, not sure. What is it? I'll just give you the answer. Yeah, he actually had it, and then he denied it. It was Nero. Was it Nero? Oh, oh. fuck! Because <laughs> apparently, um, a lot of people spoke Greek back then, so any documents which would have had his name on it, mm-hmm. um, they would have been translated from Greek into Hebrew. And then I think Hebrew has numerical values as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it adds up to all when you take all the individual numbers of his name. So it would have been Nero Kaiser, I think it was. Yeah. Which means Caesar as well. In Hebrew, it would they have individual numbers and it adds up to 666. Wow. And depending on the <laughs> translations, cool. it can be 616. Yeah, except so, I've heard 616 before yeah, as well. So that's, that's who I was think. hoping that would come up so I could look oh, <laughs> <I could yeah. laughs> uh, that, that, that concludes my on the devil that's yeah. that's that's mad about I didn't know the numbers mm. added up to 666 that's pretty cool because apparently he has a line when in Revelation where he says something like uh, like my readers will know who I'm talking about or something yeah because it's quite obvious when you add those ah, numbers right. up because cool. because of the numerical values as well it's quite simple and easy to figure out so. yeah but uh, yeah there you go mm. I mean I'm probably just getting that from that Pixies song but What's what's the thing about like if like man is five and devil is and the devil is six? God is seven. Yeah, is that actually anything or is that just the I don't know. Being cool? I don't know. I don't know. Like Frank Black is had has his mad or Black Francis as well and had this like mad Christian upbringing. I think um, so. I don't know if he was 
part of some weird sect that had some five, six, seven. I think I read something about this recently, actually, but I, I don't think it. I don't know. I'm not too sure. Mm. It probably does mean something to him, but his, his lyrics are always baffling anyway. Like. Yeah, because it wasn't his solo band called the Catholics when they called. Yeah, the Catholics? yeah, Frank Black and the Catholics. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were good. It's uh, yeah, the devil's sort of interesting because like there's not a lot about him in the Bible. It's all yeah. sort of medieval scripture and stuff like the description of the goat and everything. Like was it Bamfinet or something? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, like, that's just brought up in medieval literature. Like it's not anywhere near the Bible. And I wonder is it just all those kind of paintings, like Renaissance paintings of kind of serpents and what is that? You know, I think they Renaissance paintings tended to be really like really coded and like strict to religious doctrine. But uh, I think I don't know. I think you know, like the goat was Pan, wasn't it? And uh, or possibly yeah. uh, and so, uh, and Baphomet or what did you say? Ban- is it Baphomet? Baphomet? I wasn't sure like how that, to pronounce yeah. it. I think there's a couple of like goats in. I think maybe Pan is seen as another one or Pan, something similar anyway. Mm, okay. And uh, I'm sure listeners will will be able to correct our our ignorance of, of devils. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like the only thing I think of was is, was Hieronymus Bosch. Did he do those mad like kind of paintings of like hell and stuff? Yeah, like, loads of wee people like torturing. Oh yeah, Garden, like the Garden of Earthly Delights. Is that mm. him? Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those are horrendous. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, those pictures are enough to make you turn Christian. I think you just think fuck ever going to hell if it's yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> they don't actually know who that. The <laughs> yeah, they don't actually know who he was either. I think they. Um, I think they think it might have been like a collaborative work by a town or by a group of people Whoa. in town. Hieronymus, I think, just means. Uh, does it mean many names or something like that? Okay, and Bosch is the name of the town. So, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was mental stuff. Though. Yeah, it's all <laughs> really scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, nice one, Crazy P. I guess you are the bigger religious person of the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm not religious in the slightest, but uh, I do. I do remember a lot of a lot of crap from from yeah. religious education in school. Like, yeah. well. And, that that was one of the things I, I was I was wondering about this because when I was watching it, there may be like certain things I didn't understand, and obviously like you know I think all, all three of us are would say we were atheists or agnostics, but um, you two obviously had Catholic upbringing and I had a Protestant upbringing, mm-hmm. all, in it, all in inverted commas, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The Catholic upbringing. So I was wondering <laughs> how that would affect you two's viewing of it in yeah. comparison to, to my viewing of it because you might go fuck I had a teacher who was like that <laughs> or yeah something, you know? well yeah I was actually I was going to say there um, we should have pitched Catholic against Protestant in the in the quiz there and, uh, yeah. <laughs> the Catholic one see, the Catholic one so up your uh, up your Huguenot ass um, <laughs> um, but yeah um, no I don't think I, I don't I never had any teachers that were extreme as I mean like that is sort of Vatican 1 Sort of belief in Vatican II changed where everything mellowed a bit, oh. but it's still. I mean, obviously, the reality is still kind of nuts. But um, yeah, that that real hardcore hell and brims, fire and brimstone stuff was, you know, earlier church like. Yeah. But, um, but still, like Jesus, I was, I had all these like crazy religious anxieties, like fear of hell and fear of devil and demons and stuff. Yeah. And growing up, like definitely. Hmm. But that, when I saw Paranormal Activity, it sort of reactivated that for about six months. I was fucking terrified. <laughs> even though I knew that, I, even though I knew it was all nonsense then. But. Uh, okay, well, sure, we'll, we'll crack open a few more beers and uh, come back to talk about the devils after this.
fresh lunacy is this? A crocodile! A crocodile! Satan is ever ready to seduce us with sensual delights. <laughs> We both know why I have been brought to trial, and we both know why I have been found guilty. Come on, witch heretic! Ignore him! What you see is not dignity, but pride! Unrepentant pride! Unrepentant pride! Unrepentant pride! Unrepentant pride! Unrepentant pride! Unrepentant pride! So, The Devils, Ken Russell, 1971. Um, none of us, I suppose none of us had really seen it, So, we, because we, this is the point where we usually kind of say whoever picked it to win was the first. And we'll, we'll do, like, do you want to just say why you, why you picked it anyway? Um, I was sort of intrigued, because I, I do remember seeing bits and pieces of it, and then I suppose when you start to like, read about it, then you find out parts of it were banned, and it was really controversial. And I think that stirs a lot in you anyway, because <laughs> you kind of want to see why this was so controversial mm-hmm. um, I think it was one of the main reasons but I've uh, sort of I've always had this thing where I wanted to see Oliver Reed in his prime and it's the same with Ken Russell as well I've always heard like when Ken Russell makes a good film it's really good um, so that was part of the like uh, reason behind why I picked it yeah but uh yeah I was I was blown away by it like you know I was really taken aback by how good it was <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to be this good, but uh, I think it's one of the best films I've seen in a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It was weird how good it was. Because like, yeah. I, I watched it with a couple of my housemates as well, and usually mm-hmm. if I try and watch a film with people, they end up just talking, but yeah. everybody was just kind of sat there silent, which was quite good. But uh, yeah, that's it, the reason I picked it anyway. <laughs> it is, like, quite literally, sometimes almost literally stunning. Like, you know, yeah. it, it would shock you in the silence, like the... The imagery, the imagery is amazing. Every shot is beautiful. Like every shot is, even the is opening an artwork. Scene, like, you're like, yeah, whoa, <laughs> I know, yeah. It's like Terry Gilliam's, like I know, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. That was weird. I mean, it, it wasn't apparent at the time, but that's that's Louis the Thirteenth, isn't it? That's the king. Oh, is that who it is? Yeah, I guess isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it that's is the Louis king. Yeah, in, in the weird bikini type thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dancing for Richelieu for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre, but uh, he. Um, yeah, that's that's just strange. It is like Terry Gilliam, and actually there are other bits that seem kind of, I mean, kind of Python-esque as yeah. well as the characters. But the king is supposed, is he supposed to be gay? That's what I took from it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know actually. Yeah, I don't know if he was gay. Really, he may well have been like, or just like a mad omnisexual. Like, because um, <laughs> there's is, uh, there's the scene. It's just before the kind of the the nuns all start going mental. You know, when yeah. they're kind of all well, they're kind of pretending, aren't they? They're they're pretending to be possessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the king gets 
ruled in, and he says something to one of his one of his kind of groupies. He says, uh, "Oh, they're, oh, they're women. Don't don't touch them. They're they're dirty or something like yeah, that." That's yeah, that's right. But then yeah. he turns to like there's a sort of man is born of them, mm-hmm. and talks about how beautiful he is. Yeah, that's that right. Part. Yeah, I think you're right. Talks about how beautiful he is. This boy is beside him. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And says like because he says something like, "Don't listen to them." I think he's talking to them and then right comments on his beauty. Yeah, so he he must he must like he mustn't consider women sexual because yeah, he possibly. he thinks that they're just they're like other they're like dirty and not to be not to be trusted. So I I assume he gets his sexual kicks from young boys. He must he must be yeah. Although I mean, it could be uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was maybe sarcastically sort of uh, bringing out this sort of official religious line, which is that re- women are are dirty and not to be trusted. You know, um, mm. for the sake of the priests around him, who he obviously disliked. So I don't know if it's, if he was being sarcastic and ironic, or if he was actually um, actually finding distasteful. It's difficult to know the the king's position yeah. on the Catholic Church because he seems because because he tricks them. Yeah. In order to prove that the nuns actually aren't mm-hmm. are actually faking their possession. Mm. Isn't that kind of what he's doing? Because he pretends he's, he pretends he's got the blood of Christ. Yeah. yeah. You would have thought that, given how the rest of the characters in the film are treated, you would have thought that anyone who in any way um, implied that or or made a mockery of the Catholic Church would would be absolutely rinsed. But the king seems to get away with it. He seems to be able to just say, "I ah, are all frauds. See us later." Yeah. See, yeah, I think I think Richelieu was determined to make church and state one, but I think the king was determined to move away from the sort of authority of Rome as well in a yeah. way that King uh, Henry had done um, mm. so I don't know uh, Henry VIII had done uh, so I, I don't know I don't really know enough about the historical context no, of it, but um, I know from like Dumas that Richelieu was always out to sort of undermine the authority of the, the king's guards anyway right. but it's like this, yeah. the, the very basic sort of slight reading I did about it. That's the impression I picked up as well. Yeah. Just from the Aldous Huxley, <coughs> like Wikipedia thing. Yeah. Because um, it made me want to read the book, actually. Yeah, actually, I've got the book in my pocket. Really? I haven't read it myself. I'm going to have but to get it. I, I, I can't read it. <laughs> I'm not sure if there are, actually. This is a really... I, you can get it. Definitely, it is still in print. Um, I'll, I'll get one. Probably just get it off eBay or something. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, the, the book actually has some, some cool stuff in it, though. Um, we should actually maybe... Go like give a brief synopsis for anybody that hasn't seen the film. Yeah, we, we just kind of got um, sidetracked there because I started talking about the king. But um, it's actually well from the back of the book, <laughs> I suppose it, it sums up quite well. But uh, and it does seem to be based quite quite closely on the Aldous Huxley uh, account, which is the Devils of Loudun. Uh Urban Grandier was uh, was burned at stake in Loudun, France, on the eighteenth of August, 1634. Uh, it was basically he was framed by Cardinal Richelieu who wanted to uh, separate uh, basically wanted to consolidate the power of the state um, and he the, the town of Ludon was like a walled city or walled town that had self-governing and uh, the king had promised to allow it to remain self-governing to one of his old friends a lord who died but uh, Richelieu wanted to uh, destroy that, so he decided to destroy the main defender of its own self-governance, who was the priest Urban Grandier, and uh, <coughs> basically framed him for devil, like possession of, yeah, demonic possession of uh, a convent full of nuns. Mm-hmm. So that's 
That's the gist of it. Yeah. That's how the sort of the film kind of like after the king, you see the king and everything. That's kind of how the film opens, isn't it? It's like Grange walking through the streets and then you see all the nuns like kind of peer out the window. And yeah. How beautiful he is and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then it cuts to his, his sister Jean, you call her. Yeah. And she's like uh, telling them all to wise up, but then she goes and finds her own wee window. To <laughs> yeah. <laughs> finds her own wee window. Yeah. <laughs> There's an engraving of him actually in the book. To show how beautiful he was. Yeah. Doesn't he's, seem like he's all that. So. He's no, no Oliver Reed. <laughs> yeah, he's no Oliver. Well, that's that's one of the things I was um, thinking thinking about the film was I didn't know that that Oliver Reed was considered a very handsome man in his day. Yeah, yeah he's got that presence about him. Though, like. Yeah, to look at him, I, I wouldn't go. God, your man's pretty handsome there. Really? I, I don't because he's that sort of manly man sort of thing. That he's like a walking stereotype of masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Kind of found. I would think that's more it than anything else. I think he definitely seemed to have a a, a big sort of sex appeal in mm. um, in the Devils. I thought, but um, mm-hmm. from what I'd known him. Otherwise, I wouldn't have imagined so. But I crawled no. through a load of like YouTube clips of him giving interviews and stuff. Like, there's a few, a few like Parkinson ones and stuff. Mm-hmm. But these kind of always talked about in that sense. But uh, you can see why, like when he's on these shows, because he's such an imposing presence. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's like, very intimidating. Like you're almost scared to talk to him. Yeah. It's wow. Like, well, that's what I kind of garnered from it anyway. It's almost like you know being in a room with Roy King, like, you know, you, don't, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be there, it would just be really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I know, especially, I mean, to, like, we do, I suppose, we don't want to really want to make light of alcoholism or anything, but, like, towards the end of his life, he did, uh, he did drink quite a lot, and he did turn up on chat shows hammered a lot of the time, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's that classic one, but I can't remember what chat show it is, but I think they've probably all seen it in clip shows where he starts dancing. Yeah, it's the one oh, where yeah, yeah. The, like the house band invites him to sing a song oh, God, with yeah. them or something, oh, and God, he just yeah. ends up shouting into the microphone and jumping up and down, going absolutely mental. Yeah, it's embarrassing. The, it's really embarrassing. There's an interesting one you should watch. Like it's not even ten minutes long. It's uh, David Letterman. Mm-hmm. If you get a chance, just watch it. Like he, it's weird. Like he comes on, and rather than speaking his normal voice, um, which strangely as well, it's just like his normal voice is Grandier's voice. It's just the way he speaks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, he, instead of doing his normal sort of voice, he does. You, you know, Macho Man from wrestling. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Just doesn't impress. Like it seems like an impression of him the whole way through. Yeah, and I'm not sure if he hates Letterman or he's just trying to wind him up. Yeah, but you kind of get this kind of vibe that he maybe just really hates. Him. Yeah, <laughs> God, that's weird. Yeah, and then you, you're not sure if Letterman's trying to wind him up as well because he mentions something about like out drinking some one of his friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at one point, like uh, he, he breaks out of this impression he's been doing. And he says like, oh my publicist talked to you guys and one of the things you weren't to mention was alcohol now let's move on to the film that I'm you know right back. Yeah. but then at the same time he's kind of got a smirk so yeah. you're not really sure yeah what's yeah. going on like if he's pissed off or not but yeah he must have been quite eccentric oh definitely yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the thing about you were kind of we, we got sidetracked there because we were talking about the, the opening scene and the opening well just that, that kind of opening whenever you first see um, uh, the uh, the town and uh, first of all, the the set is absolutely unbelievable. Isn't yeah, it? it's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> Whenever I was kind of, um, uh, what's the guy called Derek Jarman? I think. Yeah. yeah. Whenever I was um, first watching it, I kind of thought, um, all right, it probably like the majority of the foreground is probably set, but the background is probably mm-hmm. like a painting. Yeah. You know, that that's been put in, you know, because that would have happened. You know, you, like a scenery and things like that would have just been a really, really good uh, painting yeah. enough to trick the audience. But no, the entire thing was built at Pinewood. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's unbelievable. I think it's that's unbelievable that they would build that entire thing just for a film. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing. fantastic, that set design. Um, one of the other things I managed to find in an interview with Ken Russell, where he was talking about Derek Jarman, and he said that one thing he tried to convey to him was in Aldous Huxley's book. He talks about, you know, the scene where there's the exorcism of Sister Jean, where yeah. like they see mm. one film, it's quite brutal. Uh, yeah. But it was described as uh, it was equivalent to rape in a public lavatory. Yeah. And he said yeah. that's the one thing he wanted to get across. So that's why it's white tiles like everywhere. Uh, yeah. It, 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 yeah, I heard that quote as well, and as soon as I heard it, I thought, oh my god, it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It actually looks like a Pink Floyd uh, set, yeah, I think. I think it, looks, so. it looks like the wall. Yeah, it does. It does, yeah. <laughs> and also, the, the, the point was also was supposed to be that it was supposed to, like, uh, Russell wanted it to look new, so he wanted it to be completely bright and white, because yeah. it would emphasise that this this town was relatively new, and that's why the people were so proud of it, and that's why they, they, you know, they wanted the walls to stay up. Mm-hmm. This is this notion of kind of self-governance, so it wasn't that this was this kind of all that antiquated town that needed to be gotten rid of for the new republic. It was like, it was like a new, it was like a new town for them, and it was their kind of place, which kind of makes it because like the the, the interesting thing is that um, we don't. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't see outside the town for the duration of the film, do we? Until the walls finally come down at the end. No, I think once you go in at the very beginning, that's you. You don't leave until um, you see it once. Yeah, the bit with the barons. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and actually, you are you do see the court at, um, I assume Versailles. Yeah, and the bit where the is that what we're talking? I where he shoots the Protestant. Yeah, the bit where the baron and the and the cardinal are discussing how to get rid of Grandier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the part where he's being wheeled about? Richelieu. Yeah, that's the bit. It's kind of it's it's fairly towards the end. It's just as as he and the baron are. Discussing how to bring down Grandier. Yeah. yeah. Where's that supposed to be? That it looks like he's in a prison, but it's yeah. full it of does. nuns, isn't it? So unless it's like a religious prison. Is this for where it goes, doors! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and these huge doors. Yeah. And there's a great... I mean, I actually got that the clip. We can listen to it. Um, the quote is like, uh, he says, give me give me uh, a child for seven years and you can have him for the rest you won't be able to break him and then the other guy says the baron says give me <laughs> give me three lines of handwriting and I can hang someone or yeah yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That, that's that old that's the, that old Jesuit uh, phrase isn't it give, I, can't, I can't remember what it is but I'm trying oh. to remember exa- what the exact phrase was when he said it when he said it the first bit of it or something oh yeah okay well sure but, like, uh, it's like give me a g- g- give me a child for three years and he'll be God for the rest of his life something or something like that, like that. yeah so, something what do you want to listen to uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> With a progressive Jesuit upbringing, it's not surprising your priest is bold and willful. If he were allowed to become governor of Loudon, he would defend Catholic and Protestant alike. And have command of the most heavily fortified town in all of Poitou, your eminence. As long as Loudon stands, we will never gain control of the southwest. Its fortifications must be demolished. And the masonry we could use to build your new town of Richelieu. Except the rebel priest will not allow one stone to be touched, and neither will the king. That is a whim. But, in the fullness of time, he will see that it is God's will. And what of the militant Father Grandier, your eminence? He is far from whimsical. If only for the sake of his immortal soul, the priest must be humbled and his pride crushed. But with that Jesuit background, it will not be easy. You know what they say. Give us the first seven years of a man's life and you can have the rest. You'll never break him. I, too, have a maxim, Eminence. Give me three lines of a man's handwriting and I will hang him. Dawes! 
it was it kind of leads in well, it leads into the point that uh, some of the writing, like the script in it, is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Like the, some of the lines Oliver comes out with, like, yeah. yeah, Even when you're kind of introduced to his sort of various like liaisons with women, mm-hmm. I think it's when he breaks up with the his first mistress. Yeah, it's like the, the most amazing breakup scene I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just like the, I think it's about where he's like he's walking down the stairs and then he's like says like feel my hand and then says something like it's like touching like it's like touching death or something yeah like yeah and he just flicks her hand away and walks yeah. away. <laughs> or like where she reveals that she's pregnant and then he goes well this is the end because <laughs> <laughs> the first the first half you sort of think like this guy's a ma-, or maybe not the first half the first half hour at least you think this guy's a massive bastard like this yeah. is obviously the villain of the piece like but yeah. uh, uh, then he it turns and he's he's not but uh, yeah the bit was strange band. strange obviously like I don't know if it's intentional to make sort of pit the audience against them first, and then, and then have them to win round to his side when he falls in love. I don't know. Yeah, because he falls in love, and then he kind of becomes the hero. He's kind yeah. of. Um... It's only when he does actually fall in love that you start to, um, you start to really respect him. Or uh, I did. Uh, anyway. Well, I thought it was when it, whenever the Baron comes in and he, he runs off and gets the army and comes back and says, "If one brick falls, if, yeah. if one more brick's demolished, it, you'll be dead before it touches the ground." And he pisses off, and they're all. All the people are kind of cheering him and saying, "Yeah, thanks, Grand." Yeah, kind of thing. But that that is around the same scene where he, that's I think yeah. that's happened just after he sort of starts to fall in love. Anyway, it's around about the same time, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's great. That scene. That is, it well. is a brilliant scene. It's, yeah, like those big wheels. With the dots, yeah, yeah. You know, to pull down the walls. Yeah, oh, they're amazing. Like, oh no, yeah. are, are are the big wheels not um, the, the torture devices? Uh, no, do they not double as these, maybe the double but the, at the start they're using these big things to pull down the walls yeah oh yeah so the, there's like a hamster wheel and then there's the wheels that the yeah. guys are the Huguenots are yeah. put on to, oh, I know or actually not Huguenots yeah. uh, other Protestants are they are they called Catherine wheels possibly the possibly yeah, yeah but, but I assume, the fireworks, I assume yeah. the fireworks are named after that yeah quite possibly hmm. after okay. Catherine of Aragon Maybe. Yeah, well, that would make sense because yeah. they were kind of French torture yeah. devices. That's why they're called Catherine. Williams. I know Nero, like, touching on him again. Like, he was famous for those as oh, well. Because yeah. apparently he, like, put loads of Catholics on them. Yeah. Or not Catholics, Christians, I guess. But, yeah. Um, and, yeah, burned a lot of them as well. But there was something about, like, he used, like, Christians as, like, lamps at one stage to, like, yeah. the room or something. That's horrible. Yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> our uh, religion teacher going into huge detail about that in uh, in religion class and going can you imagine the smell of a burning bubbling fat just because <laughs> just because you loved your lord oh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was mad shit like but, uh, uh, but yeah the the dialogue is unbelievable and it's it's actually almost it's almost kind of shakespearean i think at times yeah. and i i think that um Maybe she has done it, but just uh, Vanessa Redgrave's um, performance. I think she she would make a great Ophelia. Yeah, um, yeah. Who's Ophelia from? I don't know. She's the kind of uh, uh, crazy woman in uh, Hamlet who mm-hmm. loves Hamlet, and when he rejects her, she kind of drowns herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if she'd ever actually done that because she's like renowned for being this sort of great actress. Yeah, but the, it, it, I don't know. it is like both, well, both she and Oliver Reed. Anyway, they're they're definitely kind of Shakespearean. I think in their approach, yeah, because the lines are very rhythmic. They kind of flow mm-hmm. like it's almost like an iambic pentameter. Sometimes I yeah. think uh, Vanessa Redgrave's lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was wondering about Oliver Reed because in some of those uh, interviews I watched, he seems like he would taught himself. 
Wow. At least that's what he says anyway. Yeah. I don't know how true it is. Yeah. But he said he learned acting uh, through the pub. <laughs> like just watching, you know, strange yeah. and stuff. You know, I don't, don't know how true it is. Like, but yeah. Both of them both of them have an unbelievable presence. Like it's mm-hmm. uh, Vanessa Redgrave just, I don't know, there's a bit, I think her first scene actually where she's walking, tr- get, chasing all the nuns away from the window watching Grandier and then she like does this little false laugh, this like manic laugh stood her nowhere yeah. it's, it's, it's nuts it's really really unnerving you know and, and there's a laugh she does towards the end as well which is like quite a sardonic laugh like it's really strange but it just really uh, really jars you like she's brilliant yeah brilliant. I mean people talk about like this being like the Oliver Reed's perform- the performance of his career but I think uh, I think Vanessa Redgrave is just phenomenal in it yeah. I think she I mean August, it's probably not fair to say this because the whole film is just absolutely fucking phenomenal but um, you know I would kind of almost put her performance above all of her yeah reads. maybe I think, just, yeah. I think it's a lot maybe more nuanced and she, I think she's I think she's got a lot more work to do she does probably I think does, yeah. she does a lot more performing Oliver Reed is like he does a good bit of performing but it, like a lot of his is just natural presence you know yeah. he's given a lot as well to work yeah. with I think where she's got less yeah yeah. Because yeah. some of the lines he's been given are amazing Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. Ken Russell have written it. Like I think so. Yeah, I think really. so. Yeah, because yeah, some of the stuff he came up with him was. Like, I know he must have been a really intelligent guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Although I think it wasn't it based on, based on a play that was based on the Elder Huxley book. Yeah, John, so, John Whiting. Yeah, wrote the play, but it did say the script. He uh, Ken Russell is credited with the script yeah. writing as well, so I don't He's, know how much is different. One of the interviews I saw, or sorry, read. Uh, with him, he said that he decided to do it based on the back of seeing a Polish film or something. Oh, right, okay. I think it was a Polish film, anyway, some, some Eastern European yeah. version of it, maybe. And he said that put the idea in his head, anyway. And then I think he picked up the oldest Huxley book on the back uh-huh. of that. Ah, uh, right, okay, right, um, cool. Okay, this is uh, Mark Kermode's notes from the re- most recent uh, BFI release. Um, most celebrated of the accounts is, okay, hold on, sorry. The most outlandish events depicted in The Devils are well documented in everything from Trollope's 1878 sketches from he- French history to more recent translations of Michel de Kerto's The Possession at Laudan. Most celebrated of the accounts is Adolf Huxley's 1950 classic The Devils of London, a historical novel which laid the groundwork for Jerzy Kavalerowicz's respected Polish film Mother Joan of the Angels and for a three-act opera Die Teufel von Laugen by Polish composer Christoph Penderecki, first performed by the Hamburg State or- or Opera in 1969, hmm. although Russell claimed not to have seen the film. Okay. Um, but yeah, so there's a, there's a few um, kind of versions, and then there's the uh, um, the uh, John Whiting play, and Kermode actually says, using dialogue from John Whiting's stage play in detail from Huxley's historical account, the director set about mounting what he would later call a story about brainwashing. Uh, and John Whiting's play was first performed by the RSC, so maybe that's why, you know, Russell's film does have a kind of Shakespearean yeah, feel that, to that it because, grandeur, yeah. because the dialogue, the, the dialogue, if nothing else, is based upon kind of an RSC performance. Um, hmm. So that's probably why. Some yeah. of the dialogue's funny in the respect that um, I suppose is it the surgeon and the other fella, you know, those two, like they they have very like thick Cockney accents. Yeah, like that. yeah. But then at times when they describe the place where they live, they always put that French inflection on it. Yeah, yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Like, those guys are wankers. I hate oh, yeah. them. <laughs> I awesome. love them. I thought they were really, they're, they're like almost like Greek chorus. You know, yeah. I thought they were they were a really nice addition. Actually, like, they're almost like, just evil condensed into people, and that's yeah. the reason for existing for them in this like film. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. They're just like 
these horrible scheming conniving people. Yeah, yeah. that that's the first scene with him is is oh. amazing. That's like my favorite it. line as well. Like when he. <laughs> And he goes, what fresh lunacy is this? Yeah. And then a crocodile. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and then he uses the crocodile later as well to defend himself. Yeah. That's absolutely brilliant. I, I was wondering what that was. Like, that's a really weird thing to put in the film. So that, I mean, there must, be, there must have been historical accounts of people using stuffed crocodiles. To I don't know, maybe, people. yeah. yeah. But I, I, I think actually, we were talking about there, the point at which you start to like Grandier, and I think that's the point when he, when, yeah, when he yeah, comes in right. and you see. Well, what? that's that's the first time he meets. Uh, what, do, what do you call her? Um, I've forgotten her name. Uh, yeah. Even in real like Gemma something. Madeline? Yeah, Madeline. Yeah. yeah. What's her real name? Gemma. Uh, I've got it written down. Doesn't really matter. Uh, but yeah. Gemma Jones. Gemma Jones. Cool. Um, yeah, because he, he because they're doing that. They've got like, you know, they're putting like bees in jars and putting yeah. it against her nipple and just doing all these stupid things that you just think that's that, like they're trying to cure her plague yeah, yeah but they're yeah. just in those stupid stuff that's not going to obviously work because it's kind of pre-enlightenment and then he comes in and he kind of I mean he doesn't offer much better other than kind of prayers but he kind of comes in and goes and, and takes all the stuff off her and kind of saves her almost or gives yeah. her a bit of a more peaceful death than, yeah. than, than what they because what he says although it you know doesn't have any actual tangible medical effect it does actually calm her down he kind yeah. of says you know I envy you you're, you're going to eternal life and she kind of calms down and then she dies mm-hmm. whereas if he hadn't turned it off she would have just been writhing in fucking agony and <laughs> yeah yeah true I actually thought and I, I may I may have sort of mis, misjudged this but I, I thought that was maybe the first of what seemed to be a sort of few weird holocaust references a oh. weird medical experiment thing mm-hmm. and then then you have quite shortly afterwards you have this sort of mass grave, and you see like bodies being dumped in the mass grave, and he's he's uh, blessing them, yeah. and then you have a, like sort of shaven-headed uh, women as well, which was strange. It could be symbolic or something else, and then you have his his haircutting just before he's executed, yeah. and like the I know haircutting is like a like it was a, a sort of symbol of the sort of Nazi uh, atrocities, and like which is the reason that like the uh, the IDF uh, aren't obliged to shave their heads. They're the only army in the world that aren't obliged to have shaved mm-hmm. heads. I think. Okay. And uh, like in the film, have you ever seen Shoah? That well, nine and a half hour documentary about the Holocaust. Jesus. There's a. Uh, <laughs> it was made after that, but uh, it uses a sim- similar sort of reference where he has a, a barber who was made to cut women's hair, yeah. and does an interview with with him as he's cutting somebody's hair um, as like a a really powerful visual image and. Uh, it uh, he breaks down a load of times as he's as he's recounting his sort of um, his experiences of like cutting women's hair before they were sent to the gas chambers. And so yeah, that sort of shaven-headed thing. I don't know. I thought there were. I'm not Could sure. Be a Holocaust reading, but yeah. I I sort of <laughs> seem. I thought there were like weird sort of underlying Holocaust references in it, and almost the fact that it's like that there's a, a religious war going on, a religious extermination yeah. going on, and it's almost like. They're ghettoized, uh, like they're in a physical ghetto in a, in a way. Yeah. And the kind of um, kind of small self-governing community is kind of bulldozed for the good of the, yeah. the wider republic, which yeah. I suppose is quite a Nazi thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and also, I thought I thought there were there was the weird graffiti sort of sometimes. Actually, did you notice the Russell graffiti? There's graffiti it said something about Russell. For Ken Russell, but I thought that some of the weird graffiti sort of looked no. a bit. Um, Where was that? Where was the graffiti? Towards the beginning, um, there's, there's some said. graffiti on the wall, and one of them, one of the pieces of graffiti says Russell, definitely. 
sounds really familiar now you said that actually yeah it's, it's, it's really early on but uh, I thought the pretty sort of looked a little like crystal necked kind of ish but that's kind of cool yeah I don't know I may be maybe reading into that the whole wholly wrong way but uh, yeah, yeah seems yeah. definitely definitely a reading there anyway yeah. I sort of think though now that the ever since the holocaust like everything is relevant to the holocaust yeah I know well that's yeah. it yeah exactly <laughs> but it does because it can't be escaped now like yeah it's such yeah. a traumatic horrible yeah but it's just any time I've, I've found in the past there's any sort of political debate now or anything it's always bring or brought back to the Nazis yeah yeah the true yeah. yeah but but there's a point to that as well like you know there is but there is also a point where it would sort of cheapen the the sort of uh, trauma of the holocaust I think like with the haircutting thing what I took from it anyway was his sort of vainness well true using that as a way to sort of I suppose similar to the holocaust kind of thing like sort of dehumanise him but Mm -hmm. I suppose there's that particular point where he asks for a mirror so he can see himself like one aye that's true yeah um, and he shows he gives them the the silver plate yeah but I think that's like a running theme of like, like sort of throughout the whole film, like his sort of arrogance and, and his vainness, like kind of kind of dissipates the more he gets persecuted, mm-hmm. and then he becomes actually more religious the more he gets persecuted. Yeah, yeah, I find. Yeah, and then he he sort of becomes closer to his religion because of the persecution. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was very like the Wicker Man in that respect. Yeah. yeah, I got that as well. Actually. Uh, especially the bit, the bit at the end where he's burning and he's not—he's not kind of like once he's kind of resolved to being burnt alive, he knows it's definitely going to happen and he can't escape it. Then he suddenly becomes all kind of, um, you know, uh, asking God to forgive the people who are about to kill him and asking God to forgive the nuns who framed him, and mm-hmm. which is basically what Sergeant Tommy does at the end of um, at the end of the Wicker Man as he's being burnt. He kind of you know, yeah. goes on about. God and stuff. Um, I can never think of the Wicker Man ever again without thinking of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> luckily, I've never seen the remake. Luckily, I'm, so ruined it for me. Like, yeah. it's, it's just no matter. I've seen the original so many times, and I've only seen the new one once. And now, anytime I try to remember what the guy looked like, all I can think of is Nicolas Cage. So I haven't seen the remake. I've seen the best of on YouTube. Oh yeah, which uh, is yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just him complaining about bees a lot. Bees! <laughs> 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 and punching a woman in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it's taken out of context, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, is it any good? Oh, like you mm-hmm. have seen it, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I've seen it. It's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> mm. It's like. I don't know. It's just like. They just keep going on. It's like. they. You almost feel like, right, we've got to a point. And this has been a disaster, so let's just stop. But <laughs> just keep going. This has been an unmitigated disaster. Just stop. Just right fuck now. this. Let's go. Let's go make a remake of I don't know, fucking Mary Poppins instead. The Devils. Yeah, the Devils. Yeah. But also, I mean, like, like the Wicker Man. Um, like the like the the Wicker Man's also got a bit of a kind of. Uh, Troubled history in terms of different versions being released and footage being lost, and because yeah. I mean, it was maybe was it last year? I think they kind of released this the the most complete version of the Wicker Man, and it was essentially I don't really think there was much new in it that I hadn't seen anyway. Yeah. But they changed the order of different things, and it was kind of just supposed to be closer to to um, uh, what do you call them? Uh, I can't remember the director of the Wicker Man. Yeah, no. oh, it's not Anthony Schaefer. He wrote the novel. 
It'll come back to me. Yeah, I can't think either. Actually. Um, is there much in the new version? Like, uh, no, I would have seen the guests the like most recent DVD release before. Was there a new one? Yeah, there was. There was just like a cinema release last year. There was the one before that. Then I would have seen. Yeah, which added like a box set and everything. Mm. Yeah, but wait, but is there much new? No, there's not really much new. There's just kind of um, there's like new scenes inserted in, but but it wasn't like I mean the the scenes that they inserted in had had already been released in a as you know like you know extra scenes in a special edition. Yeah. Ten years previous, anyway. So uh, w- there wasn't anything that anyone that people hadn't seen before. It was just that it was all just suddenly added in, and the the order of some of the events were changed, like um, and the kind of version that had been released on vi- home video. Willow, Britt Eklund's character, comes to him on the first night, but in the new release, she doesn't come to the second night that he's there mm. and stuff. So it's yeah. just th- there's nothing really new, and, I, and it's almost kind of like this this new BFI version of the Devils. I mean. It's it's essentially just the uh, BBFC X theatrical classification that was that was made in 1971. So there there isn't actually anything new, and I don't understand why. If Kermode was able was able to find the rape of Christ scene, and um, I'm assuming the rape of Christ scene had to be passed by the BBFC in order for it to get onto the, because it's not included in this for in this in, the, in this version that's been released by the BFI. But the scene is available to watch in the kind of the DVD extras. Yeah. The, the DVD extras also have to go through the BBFC. That doesn't make any sense. So to me. yeah, yeah. If they've classified it for the extras, why couldn't they then just insert it in? I don't know. That's why I don't understand yeah. it. Because I watched it the other night in that documentary. Because you can watch it on YouTube and the rape of Christ scene. Yeah, yeah. But I was kind of thinking, well, they're able to show this. Yeah. Why did, can't they just? Did you watch the entire film on YouTube? No, I've I've got the film. Oh, okay. I was trying to find a film on YouTube, but I had to watch it on. The documentary is on YouTube, which I think is on the DVD, the BFI. It's the Hell on Earth, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they show the rape of Christ scene in its yeah. entirety. Yeah, and then they obviously have Ken Russell kind of talking about it as well, saying he says it's the most important scene, mm-hmm. and they yeah. get rid of it because it, it's the bit you know where Grandier is out of the city at this point, and he's like breaking yeah. bread and doing like prayer stuff. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's supposed to tie in with that, so it cuts back and forth between them constantly. Yeah, yeah. And it's supposed to be like that like, parallel him fighting his religion more, and then everything going mad. You know, is it, is it when he's breaking the bread? Is that when it's meant to be? Uh, it's when he and Madeline are out. Uh, they're outside and they're kind of sharing the wine. Cause right, because they, okay, they just yeah. had their kind of union. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably okay, remember probably. the bit where the nun is basically masturbating a candle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's when it like just started to yeah. kick in. Fair yeah, enough. and the the two thing, the two uh, situations are supposed to be juxtaposed. And um, at the time, it was kind of being, um, you know, they were kind of preparing to release it, and it was you know going through the BBFC and all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, this is in the documentary. I think you know that, the, the priest who's in the documentary. Oh yeah, um, I think he's called Gene Phillips. There's a Reverend Gene Phillips. I'm assuming it's the same guy. And <clears throat> basically, he was consulted. I think he and kind of John Trevelyan, who was the BBFC secretary at the time, were kind of consulting on the film. And and he's and he's actually quite good about the film. He because mm. you'd expect, oh God, here's here's a guy with a dog collar. He's going to hate this, but no, yeah. he's actually really really good about it. And he says yep. the the thing about the rape of Christ scene is that. It's not blasphemous. He says it's not blasphemous. It's depicting blasphemy, and the reason it's de- it's depicting blasphemy is because it is um, juxtaposed with the the intercutting of um, 
uh, Grandier and Madeleine and celebrating their union and talking about the kind of the the purity of religion. Yeah. So because those two sides are given, it's not blasphemous. And he actually he actually says the scene in The Exorcist when Reagan uses the crucifix as a dildo. He says that's 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 an actual blasphemous rape of Christ scene, but the mm. one in the devils isn't. Yeah, but that was passed. Was it by the BBFC? I don't know. I well, see, the 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 Exorcist um, was never passed because um, the guy who was in charge of BBFC at the time, my mind's gone absolutely blank tonight. This is this is ridiculous. Um, what's he called? Can't remember. I've forgotten his name again. It's absurd. You can't remember the director of the BBFC in 1971. <laughs> absolutely fucking absurd. It wasn't that Trevelyan guy? Was it? No, no, no. This was like the guy who was the head of the BBFC during the video nasty era. I can't believe I've forgotten his name, but he he just basically he was he was a bit of a dictator and he just didn't like the Exorcist, so the Exorcist never oh. just never got passed. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's the same with Texas Chainsaw, just never yeah. got passed because he didn't like it. Because he didn't like it. <laughs> so then once he died, that's why that's why we got like the Exorcist and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all these yeah. films came out because once he died, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, fuck, what's his name? I'm gonna have to look that up. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, th- I thought that was really really interesting that. Um, uh, that, yeah. that, that priest guide kind of said as far as he's concerned the rape of Christ scene is perfectly fine I don't understand because because well I, I understand why he says it's perfectly fine because it's James Furman uh, James, James Furman it's a <laughs> it's a, a depiction of blasphemy isn't necessarily a blasphemy it's a it's a, a an art piece but I suppose his perspective on it is it's a depiction of blasphemy to reinforce a Christian value but in the actresses there's no Christian Christian value being explicitly well, there is, I suppose, because mm-hmm. the Exorcist, um, the idea is that Christian, that the priest is uh, is there to sort of uh, sort of exercise this, this Satanism, you know, satanic yeah. uh, <clears throat> presence or Satan. Um, so that is a reinforcement of Christian values, and the fact that even though it's not juxtaposed scene by scene, the fact yeah. is that it's it's blasphemy. That is underlying the whole thing that is then being exercised. Yeah, that, I didn't. I didn't put that very. No, I mean, I, but, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you mean. In in the Exorcist, <laughs> there is no doubt as to the fact that the audience is is supposed to find what Reagan's doing abhorrent and and to yeah. want her to be saved. It's not as if mm. we're we're reveling in this or or being invited to to revel in the fact that a girl is being possessed. Like we want her to get better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not. Yeah. So it, it, I mean, it does reinforce Christian values. Hmm. Yeah, in a, a, a strange and then Father Carr smothers himself in the quite end. literally perverse way, like. Yeah. But um, so it's so annoying that that's a subject for censorship. That anything that could be considered blasphemous, <laughs> yeah, would yeah. be cut. And prosecution, actually, you can yeah. still be prosecuted for blasphemy, but um, under really, really narrow sort of yeah. laws. But but we're talking about this. Was it, when we were talking about this? Was it Halloween? I think so. We were talking about Shirley thing, or because he was brought up for blasphemy, or they tried to prosecute him for blasphemy charges. See, because Jerry Springer, yeah, but I think he because of his whole thing. I, I don't know if we've discussed this before, but um, some like uh, Liberal Party like politician at the time who represented like whatever area it was in, mm-hmm. uh, sort of he got in touch, or they he got in touch with him. I can't remember if it was Shirley got in touch with him, or vice versa. But uh, they pretty much helped change the law on that regard. So on blasphemy? Yeah, I don't think you can now. But I yeah. think at the time you could. This wasn't too long ago, I guess. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was pretty much the judge didn't like the... Because I think they're asked to consider whether something should go to trial. 
mm-hmm. the judge uh, threw it out because, by, in Shirley's words, it wasn't sixteen hundred. Yeah, so. fair enough. Well, that's good. <laughs> mm. I think like I don't think anybody's been. I, I can't remember. I used to know what the last um, actual blasphemy prosecution was because I, I studied journalism and it was it was part of we did a legal module as part of that. But um, I don't think anybody has been successfully prosecuted for blasphemy in in England in, or in Britain in a long time. But the only um, the only blasphemy that counts is blasphemy against the values of the Church of England, apparently. <laughs> so if you were to offend, on a daily basis. yeah, if you were to like offend uh, some sort of um, particular Catholic belief, you could be done for blasphemy or uh, yeah. uh, or Islam or Judaism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red tops. <laughs> <laughs> Red tops love offending Islam. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I suppose part of the reason that the the stuff hasn't been included is because it might be the case that no studio wants to um, attempt to re-release it yeah. with that because the the initial um, uh, kind of cuts that were made in the uh, to, to the film were a, a kind of mixture of the kind of studio imposed cuts and BBFC cuts. It wasn't always the case that the BBFs that, that you know films were just submitted you know completely uncut to the BBFC. Sometimes stu- studios themselves you know um, wary of of being prosecuted for obscenity or blasphemy would make cuts themselves. Yeah. And there's a really interesting essay actually by uh, Craig Lapper in the BBF B- uh, BFI kind of um, DVD notes and uh, Craig, Craig Lapper is actually pretty cool. He's uh, appeared in a few documentaries about the video nasty and he. Um, Era and he seems to be one of the kind of better BBFC guys, um, but yeah, like uh, as far as he was concerned, uh, far as, um, uh, according to him anyway, when it was go- kind of being prepared to be released, uh, the, the studio themselves imposed some sh- like some cuts. So there was uh, cuts to the um, whenever uh, Sister Jeanne is licking uh, Christ's wounds. Oh yeah, um, reduction. Jesus, that's so so blasphemous. <laughs> whenever. <laughs> Whenever that was on, I was actually pissing myself. I was laughing because I was yeah. thinking, "This is unbelievably offensive." Yeah, yeah. This I mean, is, I, I, this is horrendously offensive. It, it definitely <laughs> struck struck some old bone in me. Like that I was uh, like that was definitely like offended. Like not proper, not offended. Like I can't watch this, but like just like, definitely that is sensitive <laughs> to the offensiveness of that. Like, yeah. So I thought it worked really well and you know the depiction of her sort of obsession with him. Yeah, it does work well. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it's 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 got um I don't know, it does what it should do. Like it should be really really like uh, in your face and it is very in your face. Yeah. Or not, not yeah. I don't know. Um <laughs> also reduction to the scene in which the mother superior masturbates in her cell and a reduction in the flagellation. Uh, well, they had the. I know they cut out the charred bone masturbation. Yes, at the very end. Oh, oh yeah. Because remember the bit at the start. Oh, that really? That that happens. Yeah. But at, at the very very end. That's messed. They up. don't even show that in the documentary. Uh, uh, they they show more than they do. They show more, but they yeah. cut it off. Um, yeah. Obviously, they're not going to show you're actually masturbating, which I doubt they actually yeah. recorded. Yeah. Um, but like probably even a hint that it's happening. From behind, I yeah. I think you see her picking it up in the documentary. You do, and it's it's because it's like a kind of you know it looks like a kind of cartoon dog bone almost, um, and and because it's black. Whenever she picks it up, the the kind of you know the like the end of a bone, the way it'll come to two round points. Mm-hmm. The way she's holding it, it looks like a dildo because it looks like <laughs> yeah. the two balls and then the cock. Yeah, so it just looks God. like a black dildo, but it's actually <laughs> Grandier's leg bone. Metal. And and she then apparently in the, 
in the kind of, I totally missed that. <laughs> in the, in the complete uncut version. No, that we'll see. This isn't in the theatrical. No, yeah, I, I, I never, never even picked up on the fact that it could go. Turn it could, could be a cock and balls. Yeah. When I watched it first, and when he chucks the bone in, goes there's a souvenir. Yeah, did mm. it come to my mind that you would? Like, yeah, <laughs> no. why would it? Like, yeah. Well, it, it, it's supposed to be that that's the only that's the only physical contact contact yeah. she will come. She will. Yeah. She will have with ah. one day is masturbating with his <laughs> with, his, with his charred bone. <laughs> um, so there's also a reduction to the side of Grandier's tongue being tortured. So that's always been left in. Yeah. Um, the removal of all side of excrement on the mother superior's leg after the enema is administered. Oh, that was bad. Ooh. I don't remember excrement on her leg. I think it's supposed to just be like that stuff they inject into her anyway. Like it just mm. kind of comes out. Maybe it's not it, very noticeable, but it's, there's just gunk. It's yeah. boiling water, isn't it? That, um, that they that they insert into her vagina. It seems like boiling milk or something, or some sort of. It seems like white and yeah. There's like a pasty kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe that's what that is. I don't know. But well, according to Vanessa Redgrave, it was um, oh, cold vegetable soup. I think. Oh yes, yeah, it was. Oh. Um, a reduction to the side of the nuns having sex okay. in the convent. Convent. Um, a reduction in the mime sequence to remove the dildo sucking and red crotch shots. I saw the red crotch shot in the documentary to show that. What's the mime sequence? It's at the end when he's being burned, or just before his burning scene. That sort of zooms in on this, like these sort of mimes. Oh, oh yeah, like, yeah, kind of Harlequin. Yeah, type. it sort of cuts them in in the pipe, in the scene that's censored. You see them kind of dancing about, but before that, you see one of them lift up there. Oh yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, a reduction in the amount of intercutting between the reading of the letter and the king's shooting sequence. Presumably, this is a stylistic point rather than a censorship matter. What's the thing he keeps shouting? Is it next? Yes. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> you think he's shouting yes to Richelieu, what Richelieu's saying, but he's actually shouting yes to, to, to another. Yeah, to the. I, I think to not, let, not let another, another target, target go. <laughs> um, the removal of the intercutting between Grandier's sacrament by the lake and the exorcism scene in the church. Ostensibly, the studio suggested this because intercutting reduced the impact of Oliver Reed's performance. However, it was also acknowledged to the BBFC that I know you have a number of notes and individual items within the exorcism sequence. Some of them would, of course, be lost by cutting the film as suggested above, and there are certain things in the exorcism prior to the King's departure which I know the BBFC object to. A reduction to the Mother Superior's final scene with the syringe and bone, and a reduction to the side of Grandier's legs after the wedges have been hammered in. Uh, that was brutal. Yeah, that yeah. was. And the BBC, BBFC wanted to cut shot um, the sequence where the woman's got the plague and dying. Um, BBFC also wanted to cut the licking the winds of Christ. Um, yeah, I mean, like the uh, biggest trouble seems to have been the uh, rape of Christ scene, which seems to be reels nine and ten, and the BBFC calls it the the orgy scene. Um, also, also part of the rape of Christ scene was um, a, footage, or a, a sequence where Father Mignon is actually masturbating mm. in the gallery. To show that in the documentary, yeah, to to the site of um, the the nuns, um, mas- masturbating while lying on a figure of Christ. I suppose is what they're doing, isn't it? But, yeah, one of them jumps up and down on top of his crotch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Like though, when you see that scene, though, like it's not, it's not that bad. Like you know, there's other things I've seen in films. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's solely. I suppose why, just the blasphemous. the symbolism of it is yeah. just. Okay, so Mary Whitehouse would go fucking nuts. <laughs> Probably start masturbating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, so like the, the 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 final kind of decisions. Like Ken Russell didn't want to modify the scene of the mother superior masturbating, flagellating herself because he said the intercut would be meaningless if only the nun was seen. 
So you can kind of see what, where he's coming from there, can't you? If it was just the nun looking through the window and you couldn't see what was happening, that would yeah. kind of ruin it. Um, the exorcism sequence has been substantially reduced. There is a suggestion of the syringe being put between the woman's legs, but the shot of the syringe with blood on the tip has been removed and all anal, anal penetration has been removed. In the dubbing, the word cunt will either disappear or be inaudible. The yeah. orgy has been relu- removed. Removed all shots of the two nuns rolling together on the floor, all shots of nuns masturbating in the figure of crucified Christ, all shots of Father Mignon masturbating <laughs> in the gallery, and shots of the nun grabbing the candle sexually. But that's left in, isn't it? That is left in, yeah. Um, <laughs> the shots of Grandier's tongue being pricked by the torture have not been removed. And then... Um, Apparently, the the guy who was in charge of removing the shots of Grandier's legs said that there was nothing to cut away to. So the best he could do was to just have like a four a four frame flash, which is why we only we got that four frame flash. Yeah. Um, removed all shots of the mummer with simulated genitals and of the fellatio mime. He has not removed the final <laughs> shots of Grandier in the flames when his face is charged. But will examine other takes to see if there's one in which his face is more extensively covered by the flames. I asked him to consider removing shots of the Mother Superior using the syringe in herself and all shots of her kissing the phallic bone. Also the implication that she used the bone to masturbate. That's just unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Reading these notes. It's, just, it's, it's so offensive. Yeah. I know. The censorship itself is the offensive thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it is incredibly offensive. But... Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it also, I mean, as... It's it's uncompromising. It's 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 a, an amazing piece of cinema because it it doesn't it it doesn't like stares you down and it doesn't give up. Like it's it just keeps going. It's never. I don't think it actually becomes like over the top in the sen- like in the sense it becomes distasteful. You know, no. it uh, it's perfectly with its, within its own parameters of morality and uh, you know it's depicting a, a completely hugely immoral event and uh, it's using the it's, it works completely within that that own sense of like ethics and um, and uh, yeah inappropriateness that that accompanied the whole thing, um, and it makes it makes a mockery of it. You know that's what it is. It makes a mockery of the whole system that implicated uh, Grandier. Um, so it's yeah, I think it's I think it does exactly what it should do. You know, I think if it was any less, it wouldn't work. Yeah, it shouldn't work. It'd be pointless. Yeah, it needs to be. It has to have that kind of power, doesn't it? Yeah, to kind of. Um... And Jesus, it's such a fucking, <laughs> such a spectacle. The whole thing oh, yeah. is is huge. Like it's the sets are I... huge. The the opening scene is crazy. It's uh, the characters are grotesque and actions are even worse. And it's so epic, isn't it? Yeah, and it's like it's like all the um, the what are they called the guys from Midsummer Night's Dream the. Um, the mechanics, mechanicals. Yeah, it's like all the, well, they're sort of that level of farce just taken to another another level. You know, it's a, it's beautiful. <laughs> I think it's got a lot of what a lot of uh, bad films are missing, like characters that are larger than life. Yeah, because I think some films try to go for realness too much. Yeah, whereas you have to be like a sort of like, like I think that's what Shakespeare always had. That kind of like every character is an individual. Yeah, and they're all fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas the, this this has that, or like that's got that nailed on the head. Like you can maybe indicate, like I suppose Grandier's wife isn't too mad, like. But yeah, at the same time, she's still got depth of character. Like, she does. Know. That's that's it exactly. She's she's not bland. She's no. um, 
Uh, she, she's she's brilliant as well. Yeah, I think she's. I suppose she's sort of supposed to exemplify the kind of innocence, isn't she? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, or seems to be anyway. Um, I suppose all the other characters are just batshit insane for the most part. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Your man Mignon, who's like, like he's a bit sort of uh, quieter than the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Still, kind of. Well, he sort of realizes at the end mm. that he's made a mistake. Yeah, there's like an element of redemption there. Yeah. He does because he's just standing. He's just standing, looking completely rejected yeah. at the end. He's kind of. He, I'm assuming what he's doing is praying for um, Grandier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you can kind of tell. You can kind of tell he's he's thinking, and he's kind of thinking, uh, "God, shit, we've we've done the wrong thing here." But then, even even at the end, when the when the Baron um, comes into um, Sister Jeanne's uh, cell, I suppose it is, doesn't he say something like? Oh, I think I think I think Grandier might have been innocent after all. Ah, well, yeah. He says something like that, doesn't he? Yeah, he doesn't care. No, <laughs> yeah. He had one thing in mind the entire time. Yeah, but then I suppose there was another scene. It was before uh, the the anima scene, like where they're they're talking about like uh, they're trying to get the nuns to reveal their well, well Sister Jeanne in particular, uh, her sort of obsessions with her appearances of Grandier as a demon or whatever and he leans over to well I haven't actually talked about uh, Father Barry as well oh. yeah you know, I know yeah he's one of my favourite yeah, yeah. there's a, a lot to talk about Father Barry at one stage I think it's actually when Father Barry, uh, Barry appears like um, he leans over to him and says this is nonsense we can't go home with this yeah but uh, I suppose that sort of gives Barry the kick up the arse he needs yeah yeah. <laughs> he just you know turns everything up to a hundred yeah <laughs> doesn't he <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's so bloody annoying <laughs> yeah, he's amazing though yeah he, I, I actually I assumed he was I, I, I didn't recognise the character or the actor at all I assumed he was like a a rock star or something like so from some prog band that happened ah, to be it's the glasses isn't uh, it yeah yeah. yeah I was wondering how historically accurate those glasses are did, I'm sure they're not Like, did uh, they have glasses with legs that early because it's like it's glasses have legs, don't they? They're like John they do, glasses. Yeah, they look very very modern for seventeenth century yeah. films. I I I think he's he's meant to look like some sort of rock star, yeah. sort of uh, con man or something. Because um, he's know. he's essentially supposed to be the exorcist, isn't he? Mm-hmm. That's his job. His job is to be an exorcist. Yeah, to, to be to undertake exorcism. Mm-hmm. What I bought from like them getting him on board was they needed someone in the clergy who's into this shit. Just so he like they can prosecute Grandier. Yeah, so yeah. They need someone who can actually do it. So he's just like a, a yeah. Nazi for them in a way. Like, Aye. Always, yeah. Like they can use him. Yeah. Like, a useful idiot, I guess, is the term Aye. I'm looking for. And the thing I also wanted to know was um, because obviously it's it's pre enlightenment, so we can't take f- take it for granted that the characters are familiar with concepts like you know, do you know what I mean, like reason or logic or kind of consequences of actions and things mm-hmm. like that. So obviously. It's difficult to watch these films because whenever people are saying things like, "Oh, um, torture him until he confesses," mm. we yeah. we can see an inherent, lo- lo- you know, logical problem with that. Torture him until yeah. he confesses. That then, then it's not a confession, is it? I think though, as, as so, well though, I, I think the idea <clears throat> of reason as a concept maybe didn't really come into being until the Enlightenment. But I think pre-Enlightenment, it's. I think you have to give people the, the credit that reason did govern like most day-to-day things you know because yeah. i think most of the people there just see the unreasonableness of it you know yeah most of the spectators disagree with what's going on you know yeah. uh, so I'm it's, it's know. not like mob rule it's, it's weird it's not mob rule it's like the mob are against it but the um the uh guys just keep doing it anyway yeah you know 
Because I wanted to know, so to what extent is it just that they're fucking idiots and they can't see how 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 stupid a policy torture them until they confess is? To, I think like, to what extent are they idiots and to what extent are they just saying we know this is bullshit but fuck it it'll give us the, an- the answer we need well like what you think of as reason and logic is it's a contextualised thing as well so it depends on what what knowledge people have of day to day activities like if we sort of talk about what we know now like as sort of average people we have a wealth of information we can reach out upon like so we've got the internet you can just look up things now but we still have silly little things we take for granted like um, like you hear them all the time like stuff like I don't know even stuff like shaving like if you shave every day it makes your hair grow back thicker which yeah. is just not true at all oh, yeah. but you'll hear, hear people like will just say that like it's just a general truism for some yeah. reason mm-hmm. but I'm sure if you go back that far when people don't have access to as much knowledge yeah. and reason um, they'll, they'll use the reason within the contextualised system so they've been given a base knowledge so they probably have been told that like people when they suffer from immense amounts of pain They'll, they'll finally tell you the truth. That's what I'm assuming, anyway. Like, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's just they have that. They take that for granted. Like. Yeah, it's true. It's never really been tried out, you know, and like in their world. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. There's no university that can set up experiments or anything. But it can't have been that distant a concept to them, or to at least to make that leap to if you're hurting someone on because you want them to do something, chances are they will eventually do what it is you want them to do in order to stop you hurting them. So even if they, even if you say, I'm going to keep punching you in the face until you tell me that the sky is red, some the person will eventually say, yes, okay, 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 admit that the sky is red. Mm. Yeah. I'm not so sure, because I still think that belief <coughs> is there today as well. Because yeah. like, torture still used, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. I, mean, um, I, th- I think uh, most courts don't admit uh, evidence that has been gained under torture for yeah. that very reason, but yeah, yeah. but so I mean, if you take if you take say like the uh, Birmingham Six trials, we all know now that those confessions were forced via torture, <laughs> and that was the nineteen eighties. Yeah, so obviously post enlightenment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm assuming the police didn't genuinely think that they were obtaining that they were obtaining uh, reliable confessions from people. Yeah. They, they knew that what they were yeah. doing was just, right, yeah. this, this is some petty criminal from Northern Ireland, to- torture him, threaten to kill his family until he until he confesses to carrying out the bombs and then we'll chuck him in jail. I don't think they yeah. they genuinely would have thought that they were getting the, the guilty person to admit. They just were well, creating a scapegoat. Yeah, the thing about it is, I mean, like, it shows you when, when they're torturing, torturing Grandier and when they're piercing his tongue and they say no blood, yeah, but you can obviously see there is blood. Uh, they're obviously they, they're not. They they don't believe that they're actually prosecuting a guilty party. They know they're not because they they see the blood and they they write no blood and then you know they know that they're lying. You know they're just they're yeah. just getting going through the motions and yeah. enjoying it. You know, mm. so it's I don't I don't think the whole idea of reason has anything to do with. It. I think they or well has anything to do with their final outcome. I think they're just going let's get this guy and they they do. The, uh, is there a point in the film where they say that he did confess, even though he doesn't? But they really need that written sort of thing. Then maybe, yeah. There's something because they do keep begging him. He, he... No, well, they, they, they do that with Sister Jeanne. Do I they, think do they, they try to get him to confess to more? There is something so like they, they make a claim to someone else that he did. I can't remember. Maybe I remember it wrong. No, do you know? Actually, I think I I was what I was thinking actually was. They try to get the confession out of him even after he's been sentenced to death, and even when he's definitely going to die, they still try to get him to confess, yeah. even though they don't need to anymore. Yeah, yeah. but see, at, but, at, at that point, it's, it seems to be the only reason that they're doing that is to 
is to save his soul. Save his soul, or so save their own conscience. Um, yeah. Probably, you know. Aye, maybe. I think that's when your man Mignon kind of like sort of turns away. Yeah, and yeah. And I think that's maybe the point where you realise that Father Barre is insane. Is either ins- <laughs> yeah is insane and isn't actually part of the trying to prove that he's wrong. Is he? Is he trying to prove? He's wrong? Well, like I think maybe he actually believes what he's doing. Yeah, well, he probably, yeah. probably but. To the point where he's willing to be dishonest as well. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the point where he spits at him, and obviously he flinches, and he's got the cross up at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, look at him, he turns away. Yeah, that's cross. true, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's a, he's a bastard anyway. <laughs> Why does he save the nuns? Remember when they're all about to be executed? Because they they become useful to his cause of prosecuting. I, I think it was a mock execution. I, I don't think they were actually going to execute them. I think yeah. they were just uh, uh. they were just scaring them into... Um, I think maybe if he if because he was seen to give them a way out, they would they would just take that way out and they would they would act whatever because yeah. he tells them then what what they're going to do. <laughs> he says, "Are you going to be blasphemous? Are you yeah. going to yeah. yeah?" So then exactly. that, that's where they all start doing that. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't think they were actually going to execute them. I think it was all staged for. Now, to 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 what extent are are the nuns fully aware of what they're doing and doing it because those are the conditions? And to what extent is it that they are just it's the release of sexual repression that they're suddenly well, being yeah. allowed? So they're going they're going absolutely mental. Yeah, though. I don't know. I think maybe it, like that would it broke the broke the seal and they just yeah. went nuts. You know? Yeah, like, uh, I think it's a, definitely sort of a group psychology kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Sort of from what like um, I remember sort of reading about experiments. I could be wrong. It was maybe done in Stanford. Or Stanford Prison? Not the Stanford Prison no. ones, but they're actually quite similar now that I think of it. But it was ones where, I think your man David Leary, is that his name? No. Dennis? Oh, no. Uh, Tim, Leary? Tim Leary? Tim Leary? Is he the Tim- Timothy Leary. guy? Yeah, Timothy Leary. Yeah, um, where he was involved as well, where basically, I think a couple of people were given LSD, but some people were given placebos. But everybody in the room started to experience hallucinations and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, based on the fact that other people were. And so yeah. it became this sort of group, sort of psychological yeah. thing. That's and amazing. I think it's kind of similar in that sense. Yeah. Like once yeah. you're expected to behave like that, you start behaving like that. And, you know, that's the emphasis that's put on it. And then once it becomes a thing, it just keeps going and going. Yeah. It's probably also good fun. If you're like, if you're like, if you're like, well, it is. I mean, if. <laughs> If you're a, a like a young woman who has been forced to a life of you know, all right, yeah, basically yeah. it's basically prison, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. Prison. Well, I mean, like they're uh, an enclosed order as well, so they. Uh, and then basically, yeah. and then someone says, "I I order you to strip naked and run around the place and yeah. be blasphemous." They're gonna like, go. Fuck yeah. They're gonna fill your boots, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're like possessed, that's how you naturally act. So like, yeah. You yeah. Know. Or act any other way. Yeah. There's uh, somebody, one Francis something, I can't remember her name, uh, wrote a book about the, the uh, Salem witch, witch trials, and uh, apparently yeah, the, the girls that, um, the girls that were involved in that, you know, were seen to like act in totally inhuman ways and like bend their bodies in like really inhuman ways and stuff. And uh, it was basically all explained by Freud was able to demonstrate that like the human human mind put under the right conditions can like just manipulate the body in ways that could never normally move you know and, like, yeah. because it can block out pain or something yeah or yeah it's essentially like it's like uh, just a, an extreme version of mind over matter you know uh, yeah, uh, like the, the woman, woman lifting, really really like the woman lifting up a car to save her baby kind of thing yeah yeah essentially like a, yeah. A, a, well I, I assume it's related to that maybe maybe not but um, it uh, yeah it seems to be that uh, you know you can They'll almost believe that they will believe that they're sort of uh, 
they're possessed just for some sort of relief, mental relief, because they're so so unbelievably bored, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, it's like similar to like what I've read about placebos, like you know how nobody really knows why they affect people the way they do. Yeah, but it seems to be some sort of group. Like it, there has to be like a cultural basis for it anyway, mm-hmm. where there is a group psychology kind of thing. Yeah, because I remember reading that Goldacre, uh, Ben Goldacre book, um, where he was talking about that there was early tests on on painkillers. Mm-hmm. Where I think it was like dentists. Um, so the the experiment was done with uh, dentist patients, where they were getting teeth removed, and this was way before they brought in laws to prevent this sort of thing. Now, so the people didn't know anything about it. Yeah. But uh, the some patients were actually given like tablets, like they were painkillers, which were placebos. Some were given actual tablets, which were actual painkillers. Some were given injections, which were painkillers. Some were given injections, which were just salt water. Yeah, but I think for the most part, the when they compared the placebos, the ones who were given the sort of sugar pills <coughs> felt um, still felt some pain, but the ones that were given the injections, for the most part, didn't feel any pain, even though it was still sugar water. Yeah, uh, yeah. But mm. because maybe culturally, like injections are seen as more extreme. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think I I, I would definitely. Uh, if I was getting a painkiller, I would definitely, or like getting surgery, I would definitely expect an injection. If somebody gave me a pill, I'd be like, fuck off. <laughs> I, 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 I always find that painkillers don't work on me. And I'm very, yeah. very I'm always very, very cynical about painkillers. And I wonder, yeah. I wonder, is that the opposite effect? Because I don't believe that painkillers work. They yeah. don't work. Well, maybe not, yeah. yeah possibly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think chemically they should work anyway, but maybe you're imagining the pain or something. That's, so what, I, that's what I think. Yeah. I, 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 I went to the dentist one time and I had to get stuff done and I had to get my, the same place injected about four times. And I was like, this, I can still feel this. This still yeah. hurts. And eventually the dentist just had to say, I'm going to have to par through. And I was like, just go for it. And it, it, <laughs> it hurt kind of slightly, but yeah. no, I didn't absolutely cane. But yeah, like the, he's like, I can't believe that this isn't working. Yeah. And there must've been an element of, that just being psychological, that because yeah. I don't believe they work, I could feel the pain. But um, yeah, just just while we're kind of on the the, the whole um, witch hunt thing, I I watched a, a film. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It was called uh, Mark of the Devil. Did you guys ever hear about I Mark of the Devil? I think I might have seen Mark of the Devil. Is it, is it a hammer? No, no, no. it's um, uh, kind of of that ilk though um, but it too has only kind of just recently been released it was Arrow video of course right um, just got a kind of uncut um, German script but British film I think I might have seen um, it dated 1970 so the year before uh, yeah. The Devils okay. and um, Udo Kier do you remember Udo Kier right now what's he been in he is the professor in Suspiria oh she right, goes okay. to see um, he is the rich guy with the limp in his Ventura pet detective. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? He's got a really, really distinctive. Um, I remember him in Suspiria, anyway. No features, yeah. Um, and that um, I watched that during the week, and it's kind of a similar thing. It's basically uh, a witch hunter apprentice who arrives in this town in Austria, where this. Where the, where the witch hunter is just being an absolute bastard and is not even like. Because it's really weird. Because even in the process of witch hunting, there was like there was like protocol and procedure. You had to like uh, compile evidence and um, you know kind of accuse people and have a proper trial. But he's not doing that. He's just basically saying she's a witch. Let's burn her, and that basically happens. Yeah. So then Udo Kier comes in and with this big rinse out uh, witch finder and um, 
he starts kind of doing a more just in inverted commas uh, trials of uh, supposed witches um, but it, it's also kind of filled with this kind of um, kind of religious kind of torture sequences uh, there's a really famous scene where the, uh, a woman is kind of tortured extensively and then it kind of finishes off with her having her tongue ripped out and then she's like, burnt, and then she's burnt at the stake um, and it's it's not really mentioned at all in any of the kind of research I did for the devils it's not yeah. really it's not really listed as an influence or anything but I mean Russell must have been aware of it because it's a it was a British film mm-hmm. um, although I'm not sure it did have lots of problems with censors so maybe it was never really released widely but I would recommend uh, that as a another kind of side film to watch um, it's kind of quite interesting but it's the same thing it's just this kind of there's like a scene where uh, the the witch hunter and his the witch finder and his um, he's called Albino and, and his mates are kind of they've been like drinking in the pub and they're walking down the road and there's this couple upstairs having sex and the, this young kind of beautiful girl come goes to the window and they look up and see her and they go oh she's fit and then they go alright well let's let's uh, let's go up and you know break break into the flat and kill the guy and accuse her of a witch then of being a witch then <laughs> right. and that's essentially what they do yeah um, it's just absolutely horrendous but um, yeah it's a really interesting film I would definitely recommend watching Mark of the Devil but um, the the reason I was going to think about Mark, Mark of the Devil um, is because la- well maybe maybe not so much like the devils but in, in Mark of the Devil <clears throat> They're always, they've obviously got various and various different signs which will show them if someone is a witch or someone is being uh, influenced by Satan. And one of the one of the charges that they keep talking about is fornication with the devil. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know what they mean by that. Do they? Is that some metaphorical way of expressing them their evil, or do they? Or do they genuinely believe that this woman has had literally had sex with Satan? I think they literally believe they have, uh, but I think it can happen like, like in the devils. I think it can be like uh, a person who embodies the devil, Grandier, like Grandier, or supposedly uh, embodies the devil. Or I think also people do believe that people did, or probably still do, believe that the devil can appear to you in the night and. And uh, ravage you, ravage you. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I, th- I think night terrors uh, are a big thing. Like, I think like some quite a lot with night terrors, people wake up and see people like standing in front of them. And, uh, I don't get night terrors, but my my cousin does, and sometimes he says he's never. I, I don't think he's ever seen a devil, but or or had <laughs> any sort of any sort of relations with anybody when he's uh, yeah night terrors. But uh, he um, I remember him telling me that he sometimes sees people like standing in the corner of a room watching him and stuff. He can't move, you know. I had one uh, of those once. Uh, it was like I, I, because I've heard of other people like having this quite a lot. Like, mm-hmm. you, yeah, you, you wake up and you can't move. It happened to me once, and it was really weird. Yeah, it is quite scary. But like, it was nothing like there was someone standing. Around. No, no, it was just like well, I can't move. That's weird. Yeah, actually, it is yeah. scary stuff. Like we, we saw, we saw my granny today just coincidentally, and she last night had an, the exact dream. She dreamt that because she lives in a care home, and she woke up in the middle of the night. At about two o'clock in the morning, she said, and all the lights in her room were on, and there was a girl standing on the window ledge in the corner of her room in pajamas, waving at her. Jeez. Fucking hell! And then she pressed her buzzer, and the night staff came and checked the room, and there was no one there. That'd be terrifying. That'd be terrifying. Fuck. Um, <laughs> and, and you can also see how, like, if 
if if you're in I can't if like if you're living in a period when everything is just fucking Satan and church and yeah. God and witches, you can see how your any hallucinations or nightmares that you do have would probably manifest themselves as the devil yeah, because yeah. that's all anyone fucking talks about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, would be now you have like I don't know Osama bin Laden apparently yeah. <laughs> or a, a pedophile. A pedophile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but but was yeah, that that point you raised though about like them being maybe. Uh, uh, corporeal like or whatever I think that's one of the things that came across and when I was trying to come up with the quiz and maybe Paul you might know more about this because um, you seem to remember your religion better um, <laughs> you know the way you have the what is there's the Holy Ghost there's the Trinity yeah. what is the Trinity and it's the Holy Ghost uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit yeah Holy Ghost apparently there was an opposite theory at one stage where you mm-hmm. would have the devil and I think that sort of counts for other names like Beelzebub and yeah Whisper, whatever. There's loads of names apparently, but there was Mephistopheles. Mes- <laughs> um, at one stage, there was an idea that this could exist, but I think it was rejected by the main churches, like the Catholic uh-huh. Church and most of the different Protestant churches. But it existed for a while, so I don't know. With the Holy Trinity, is there like a corporeal one? Is yeah, all- I, th- I think this, the Son is meant to be the corporeal because um, okay. well, that's Jesus. It's Jesus, uh, Father. It's meant to be. A sort of overarching theme, and the spirit is 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 totally metaphysical. I think. Okay. I think the the son has a, a phys, an earthly physical presence. The father has a non earthly physical presence, and the Holy Spirit is. Is okay. the spirit yeah. the Holy Ghost then? Yeah. yeah I was yeah. like the ideas are one, the Holy Ghost. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, no, I think that's sort of coming on to like your question. Like, can you have? Can you be like ravaged by the devil? Yeah, no way. But because that was a theory for a while, mm-hmm. could have just had a hangover, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you? Because remember, in Prince of Darkness, it's 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 basically Hell's version of the birth of Christ. It's that Satan is trying to send his son in yeah. a physical form into the into our dimension so that he can then rule over us. Yeah, Prince of Darkness. Brilliant. I know. Yeah, um, good. <laughs> do, does that exist in Christian mythology that this notion of Satan sending his son in a corporal form to to bring about, you know, the Armageddon? I don't know. I, I, is that just something that Carpenter dreamt up? No, I I, I don't know. I, I think it seems to be like a, an underlying... There, there is the idea of an Antichrist and I think that is what the Antichrist is meant to be. So but, is the Antichrist... Uh, I don't know if the Antichrist is biblical or if it's some sort of heresy. But um, Well, that's supposed to be a thing in Revelation, isn't it? Where I'm John was talking about, uh, well, specifically Nero at the time, because apparently they did think he was the Antichrist. Yeah. Because you know, so, he tortured Christians so much. By that, did they mean he was Satan, or that he was the, the embodiment of Satan's son? I think so. It could have been either. Well, I'm not yeah. really sure on the... But, like, he was some sort of uh, version. <laughs> yeah. But, don't really know. But uh, I think that's what they were predicting. That Maybe... Because I think that thing I was talking about with the seven heads was mm-hmm. supposed to be that he was the sixth one, right? And then they were maybe expecting his son to be the worst one or something, or yeah. the the next Caesar. Yeah. So I think that's their prediction about like when that happens, you get the rest of all that stuff. Biblical okay. imagery is so clunky and so so like inelegant and stuff. Yeah. It's just so fucking obscure. It's so weird. It's not it's so artless. Like it's. Yeah. it's Seven Caesars, so make a base to seven heads. It's not really... <laughs> Could have done better than that. <laughs> yeah, come on. Um, the, the, the other thing in Mark of the Devil is it's, it's the, the, the the title is is the Mark of the Devil, um, and that's another thing. Uh, do, do they do that in... Because um, I think I'm actually maybe getting mixed up with the two films now. 
Do they do it in the devils where they where they pierce someone's side and say, "Oh, look at the look, he's got the mark of the devil." No, no. Okay, that must be in, the, in that in that they film. They mention then. it though, like when Sister Jean's like kind of chained up in the church. Yeah, and says, You'll yeah. find the mark of the devil. Yeah, but I think is it in reference to cutting him or piercing his tongue and his is it his shoulders? Shoulders and, and his, his testicles. Right testicle right. and his left testicle. Right, right testicle, testicle <laughs> and his left <laughs> testicle. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and it, I mean, in in Mark of the Devil, it's it's just it's the same. That it's kind of the same logic. There's there's a scene where they're um, w- kind of the witch hunter and his mates are kind of walking through a town and see some kids playing. The kids tell them that they know where there's magic and like they they take the word of a five year old child at face value and follow him to his parents' house. His parents are putting on a puppet show. Yeah, and they think that. The parents are sorcerers who have transported the souls of humans into wooden puppets, <laughs> and <Fucking idiot>. I know. <laughs> and they arrest them and put them in jail. And the witch finder comes, and it's supposed to be that the witch finder realizes because he's intelligent enough to know that they're just puppets. But he kind of sentences them to be tortured anyway, and it's kind of you know quite dark, crack. just for the crack, yeah. essentially. Um, and it, it it is that crossover where you just think. To what extent are you a fucking moron, and to what extent are you just a corrupt, <laughs> a corrupt, complicit bastard yeah, who doesn't yeah. care? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, to what extent do you genuinely believe? You know, like, 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 you can't pierce pierce someone's chest and then say that's the mark of the devil because you've just done that. <laughs> yeah. You've just pierced their chest, so it's obviously not the devil. It's you. Yeah. You've just done it. Well, the <laughs> the witchfinder general. Which I, ha- I have to sort of bring up now. Uh, it, it was going to be my choice. For I, was, next, I was wondering next time, if you were... But because it's so similar, it's not going to be now. But uh, yeah, that's that's the same thing. Like, you know, the, the mark of the devil, it's, you know, they essentially torture somebody and then say, well, there you are. That's yeah. That's it. Yeah. Also, one of the torture methods in the Witchfinder General is slapping somebody in the face repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I don't remember. That. Oh, a shit. few years ago, I don't know. That's okay. Or did I watch it? Were you there? I remember watching it with Keith. No, no, I didn't watch it with you guys. That's yeah, it's pretty good, boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if, uh, Vincent Price, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a brilliant film. I actually I watched it after your Halloween party. I came home and it was just starting, and I sat down and had a. A couple of beers and watch it, and I can't really remember the end because I was very drunk. But, <laughs> Brilliant. but the, the very, I remember everything up to the very end. I just can't remember how it ends. I think it's uh, it's most relevant to what you brought up earlier, like with the Salem uh, witch trials, like the Crucible. Yeah, like that's what I got from it. That and uh, what Ian was saying about uh, uh, what do you call it, the Wicker Man? But it just kind of reminded me of the Crucible so much because it was obviously based on this mass witch hunt that actually happened in real yeah, life yeah which would have been the McCarthy trials like you know mm-hmm. the, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. the reds under the bed it was just sort of identifying people for political purposes and getting rid of them you know yeah sort of excluding them from positions of power that you considered a threat to yourself mm-hmm. which is what McCarthy did like yeah. Yeah. yeah but that's what I got from it anyway yeah I mean yeah. <clears throat> the red so some of the actors it might have been like Vanessa Redgrave herself said that like um, pretty much every day or just regularly Ken Russell would change um, his opinion on what the film was about so one yeah. day he would say it's a religious film the next day he would say it's a political film the next day he would say it's neither it's about corruption and then the next day yeah. he would say it's it's actually about repression yeah. and, oh, and then the next day he would say it's actually about sexuality um, yeah. seems to be about so, them all though doesn't it yeah, yeah it does like, they all seem to go hand in hand yeah 
I think it's why it's such a good film, though, because it seems to smoothly kind of capture them all. Completely? Yeah, and delivers them into a nice story as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, it's... It's highly artistic. It's yeah. it's it's beautifully shot and it's yeah. God, it's, I, it's I know we've, we've talked about shots before, but the shots, every single shot is a masterpiece. Like <laughs> one of the things I noticed is that basically any any time male characters are, are on screen, um, everything is very wide and open. Yeah, and any time the female character, it's just female characters are on yeah. screen. It's very very closed. Anytime you see the nuns, they've got uh, these yeah. kind of really low arching roofs. Yeah, and there's always there's bars everywhere and, and doors and locks mm-hmm. and people look at each other through through bars and through the windows of doors and things it's all yeah. very closed off and anytime the male characters are there it's all it's open spaces and massive towering buildings yeah well actually yeah, I mean that, I think that brings quite nicely on to like the idea of the gender politics in it because that's that's obviously an interesting a very interesting point about yeah. the, the sort of the way that women are treated in the film like what do you think, do you think is it a sexist um, film because obviously um, obviously all the nuns who get naked are attractive young women. Yeah. And I think one of the extras in that, um, what's it called, the, the documentary? Oh, it was Hell on Earth. Hell on Earth. Yeah. I think what, she's kind of laughing as she says it, but there's probably an element of truth. She kind of says that, like, Russell would have picked um, a, a woman with with, big, with bigger boobs over a woman with smaller boobs to be one of the kind of naked nun extras. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like, there's the argument that you you kind of say, well, the reason women are treated so badly in comparison to men in the film is because that's the way it was at the time. You know, mm-hmm. men weren't really sexually repressed as much as women were, so that's why. Yeah. But what do you think? Like, do you think it objectifies women? Do you think there's I think it, sexist? It does to an extent, but it it sort of like in the way that it does it, it almost sort of makes a mockery of the way that men are treating them as well, mm-hmm. and the way that women are subjected. Uh, also. I think I think in another like a sort of more subtle way it takes the very sexist argument that women were the cause of the uh, of humanity's fall from grace and sort of inverts it um, because there's almost like as as D you said earlier there's like a an element to uh, Madeline she's an innocent and through her uh, Grande almost becomes sort of an innocent Mm. And uh, and then there's almost as if they're like regressing back to the their state of innocence and like like the mythical Garden of Eden, but when she uh, when Grande is uh, executed and at the very end she leaves she walks through the walls and walks down the path it's sort of like almost sort of reminiscent of like in Paradise Lost when Adam and Eve were sort of thrown out of the garden and they mm. they walk out through the the walls and they they walk away but she is the one this time that maintained their innocence and he's the one that fell so it's almost like the the myth is the sort of sexist myth is being inverted I don't know is that something or is that uh, no that's a class reading I'm not sure (laughs) I never thought of that uh, so I don't know I mean there are elements in it that could be seen as very sexist but they do seem to have a root cause in the fact that, or there's some sort of justification in the fact that it's it's portraying a sexist um, mm, I mean, scenario. It, 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 could you argue that it's a bit it's a bit of a kind of um, kind of male fantasy a male fantasy that one man could cause all these attractive, well, yeah, that's attractive it. That's, young that's mums the, with big boobs. That's to, the other thing. That's the whole way through. I was thinking this is incredibly sexist because all these women are just falling over this one man. Yeah, um, and you think, I mean, come on, yeah, you know. 
could like one man's attractiveness cause an entire convent of yeah could nuns it be his to attractiveness though rather than the sort of culture that's created around him that he's just seemingly willing to sleep with as many women as possible yeah he's got a so, reputation I yeah, think. so Byron maybe it lends to the idea yeah. that if they ever come into contact with you know him they could actually break free of this yeah. miserable life yeah. maybe it's 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 what he represents to the these women that are like really repressed mm. uh, he represents uh, a freedom that they, yeah. they don't have you know which is why in the uncut version um, Jeanne is kind of the only thing she can do is masturbate with his bones after he's been yeah, yeah. 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 Because that's the only contact she will ever have with him. Yeah. Um, it's fucking nuts. That's the thing as well. By putting him on like, trial and accusing him of these things, she will come into contact with him in that sense. Yeah. As well. That's the only way she'll ever be able to talk to him. Yeah, like, yeah. why do you think she does, dude? Is, is it because because she, she sends him this letter hmm. saying, we need a governor, will you come and be our governor? And then she's really disappointed when Mignon turns up. Yeah. Well, apparently okay. that's historically accurate. Like, she did ask uh, him to become yeah. the sort of... Well, is it the governor? Is it the... I think it's the governor, isn't it? Uh, it's their confessor, is it? Spiritual guy. There's actually... There's a, uh, a a letter in her handwriting in this, this book of... Uh, mm. uh, I'll, I'll talk to you this book that was a little on. Uh, which is is, is kind of cool. Just have, I, I can't read it in French, but um, yeah. I'm sure the the text actually explains it. I haven't read it, yeah. um, but it's yeah, it's kind of weird having her handwriting. That is weird. Jesus. <laughs> if you, um, she must have been gutted when Mignon turned up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, obviously you can't see this if you're listening, but uh, do do check out the book. It does have have cool stuff. I mean, like that's that, some it? historical document. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? There's a, there's also like an historical document I think where they were trying to get the confession of him like uh, where he didn't sign mm-hmm. I think they'd written out one but he didn't sign it so yeah but yeah that exists as well that exists really yeah. that'd be cool it's kind of interesting that's really cool isn't it but that was why the one these, thing apparently he just didn't like um, confess at all apparently that's true as well he just yeah. like, took it to his grave yeah that he wasn't involved in this. Was it like the other thing was, we didn't mention was that he was acquitted the first time? Did we mention this? I can't remember. Oh no! And no. Then he spoke out against uh, is it uh, Richelieu or whatever he's called mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, after the first one. And then he personally got involved because he'd heard that Grandier had spoken out against him oh. and made sure there was a retrial, and then oh. got rid of. <laughs> so if he just accepted the first acquittal, yeah. Um, the during the trial actually. Um, <laughs> the the garb that the the judges were I mean like it, direct, it that <laughs> oh, yeah. the the pointed the hoods the white point yeah it's obviously very good cooks clanny isn't it yeah it, is it I mean is that I wonder is that historically historically accurate it, it looks like it probably would be like Catholic Church does mad shit like that but yeah um, I mean I think today Orthodox Christians wear some pretty weird shit that looks that looks quite white supremacy white yeah. supremacisty yeah. So I wanted the KKK. It'd be weird if the KKK borrowed that from Catholicism. Though. Yeah, because they don't like Catholics, do they? Don't they don't the KKK. Yeah. Seems yeah. to like everybody now, do they? Not? They do. Apparently, they, they like blacks and gays. Oh no, the, and, the, this uh, is this is just everybody. one kind of rogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, is a rogue <laughs> guy. I think all the other clans <laughs> hate him. He's, I think he's, he's trying to. Um, he's. I think. I think he's just basically trying to further his own. His he, own me. His own whatever. Whatever the fuck it is, he's trying to do with his life. This is supposed to help him. Right. Okay. Suddenly saying that. Fair enough. The KKK will accept black people and gay people. <laughs> right. And I think every, all the other clan members are just going, nah. He bought all the KKK robes. <laughs> We're the KKK. <laughs> it's like, well, sure. <laughs> Nobody else is going to join me in there, but... 
Get over your man. Before we started recording or whatever, like uh, me and Paul were talking about the Frank film. But um, oh, yeah. do you know the journalist that wrote the. I can't remember his name now. He wrote the Frank book. Oh, uh, uh, John Ronson. Yeah, yeah, he spent some time with like a, a KKK group or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he basically just came away with the impression that most of them were just incredibly thick. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, to the point, like, where the, the leader that he got talking to, like, just kept giving off about it. Yeah. Like, just how stupid they all were. Because <laughs> there was one point Amazing. they were trying to set up a burning cross. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> basically, they, they left them to this task so he could go interview them. Or, sorry, interview the, the leader. And then they came back. And it was just this sort of pile that was burning after a while. <laughs> it just couldn't make this cross. It just collapsed. And it was just a burning pile of, like, bin bags and stuff. Fucking idiots. <laughs> Amazing. But, uh, I don't know, I've, I've never come across it. Was that a documentary? Was that a, a, an article you wrote? I think I heard it on... It was one of the Richard Herring uh, Leicester Square Theatre podcasts because they oh, interview okay. someone different every week. Yeah. Um, and he was one of the guests. Yeah, cool. He had Steve Dugan last week. Cool. Which was actually pretty interesting. Brilliant. Did Louis Theroux do a KKK episode? He did a White Supremacist one. I don't uh, know if he did a KKK. He did a Black Supremacist one as well. He did, yeah. They? That was... That was I've met them. Yeah. Weirdly, yeah. Where did you meet them? New York. When I went, when I was... Where was I? 16? With the dead on? Uh, no, the hangabout, <laughs> the hangabout in Times Square. Um, like I heard about them before he did a documentary on Yeah, them. yeah, cool. And just weirdly, like, kind of, um, I just saw them in the street preaching. And what, um, do, what do they look like? Uh, they don't, like, wear anything weird or anything. They just sort of stand in the street and preach about, like, how basically white people have taken over black history and stuff like uh, they would say all the English kings were originally black. Yeah, yeah. And all the and Shakespeare was black. Yeah, yeah. And all the history books have been distorted, and they have like these illustrations through throughout history that are drawn in black and white. Yeah. And go look at that. He's black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That's it's, interesting. Yeah. yeah people that are shaded, like shaded in shadow. Yeah. 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 I wonder what the Black Panthers think of them. Well, they probably think they're ready. <laughs> yeah. Black, it's probably one of those things where they kind of think. Some of the stuff we agree with, but most of it's shit. Yeah. Well, they're just bizarre. Like. Mm. But it, it just sort of, like, whenever I was there and I saw them, it just seemed like... The, it's sort of like the Westboro Baptist that just seemed to feed off the negativity. Yeah. And people yeah. arguing with them, because that's all I remember, just people standing around arguing with them. You know? That's, mm. that's what I got from it. <laughs> they like the attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all they need, isn't it? They're just a bit lonely. Possible. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and they're also stupid. <laughs> but the the uh, trial actually reminded me um, a bit of Oscar Wilde's trial because yeah. during uh, Oscar Wilde's trial, they, they they pretty much had him banged to rights in in terms of the fact that you know sodomy, as it was called, was illegal, and um, because he had written all these letters, yeah, um, professing his love for um, Bosie, Bosie, yeah, uh, Bosie, yeah. And uh, he he kind of make he he tries to kind of Wilde kind of tries to to turn it and say, well, if you look at Shakespeare's sonnets, there's like a decent proportion of them are are dedicated to a young boy, or look at um, you know kind of classicism, look at kind of the Greeks, you know they yeah. they, they worshipped the male body, they worshipped male youth, you know, and that's basically all I was doing, and to a certain extent that worked, um, but obviously as we as we know, he he was convicted and sent and sent to jail, sent to yeah. in jail, um, and and. Um, Grandier kind of goes through the same thing because he has got to basically convince um, the, convince the court 
that um, his his union with Madeline is not is not kind of against against the rules and teachings of the Catholic Church, but is actually is actually um, a part of Christianity because he yeah. kind of says, you know, the, the purity of our love is like, you know, the kind of the, the purity of of, of uh, Christianity, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because it shows you how um, how malleable things like religious texts are. So he he's actually able to make a good go of arguing that. Um, sleeping with a woman is actually in in praise of God, mm. yeah, and it's not yeah. uh, blasphemous. And you can see that now, you know, like like you'll have Christians who are um, uh, pro gay marriage, and they use the Bible to argue that, and there are Christians who are anti gay marriage, and they use the same texts yeah, yeah, to argue exactly, yeah. po- polar opposite points. But it's just and, and like same with any religious text, you can Shia, Sunni. Uh, yeah, you can Wars, kind of say, yeah, look, this, this proves that we need, to, like, need yeah. to kill Protestants, or this proves that, yeah. do, you know. I think it's sort of similar <laughs> to any kind of doctrine you get, like whether it's religious or secular. Because even if you take the, the states, for example, it might be a good like sort of thing where you have the constitution, mm-hmm. and people try to argue. Yeah, yeah. There's examples for doing various things within it, or there isn't. Um, like, I, probably guns might be. Yeah, like open know. carry laws. Yeah. Versus, like, yeah. Where, like, some people would say, well, you're you know, infringing upon our rights by saying I can't carry around this submachine gun to the supermarket yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's all right, you know, I'm a bit exaggerating a lot, like, but, but well, that sort of well, thing. Well, that, that, right? that does, that is essentially it, like, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's like, I think it's like, that's a good example of what can happen with any sort of set system. Yeah. That you will have, like, I, I think what's, what people hope will happen within it that you'll vary, like, over the years, if there's trials, you'll just yeah. chip away yeah. at it. To a point where you can reach something that's just black and white. Yeah, yeah. But I think as we've seen, like even through English law, there's precedents seem to happen quite a lot. Like, and mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. I've been watching a lot of like courtroom dramas like recently, and there's always things like, oh well, we want to raise, uh, like I don't know, Smith versus Jones. Yeah, yeah. Know, in 1972, that yeah. was the precedent that was set, and we have to like work off that now. Yeah, yeah. Sort of that's kind of the two main, main differences in in the two laws like America works from a constitution but because Britain doesn't have a constitution it works from precedence so yeah. one case will set a precedent and that will then become law mm. essentially but uh, but Britain does have an unwritten constitution so it, it does have like what does that mean? it it well part of it's a uh, European constitution so it's governed by that but mm-hmm. uh, it also has uh has a lot of sets of uh, what do they call them? A lot of sets of laws that aren't presets. They're uh... shit. I can't remember. But is it? Are they torts? I'm not sure. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but yeah, they they have a, a an unwritten uh, constitution. So they have a set of laws that that do enforce a constitution, but it's not written as one document. Essentially, you know. So it's not like it's not like a quick reference thing. It's it's uh, okay. It's a lot more scattered. But uh, yeah. It's complicated and I don't really understand it. <laughs> so yeah, you caught me out of my depth there. But uh, what? What about? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe edit this bit out. Sorry. I can't remember what. What else? Were, why we got into torts? Well, I, I mean, uh, one of the things I noticed was, was where we were talking about kind of politics and the and the constitution and everything. One of the things I kind of thought was, um, 
Well, like first of all, like uh, Ken Russell said, that the reason he said it in the sixteen hundreds was so that people, so that the audience could easily take a step back and decontextualize what they're seeing, so it doesn't relate to them in any way, and they yeah. can therefore view it as as the kind of political critique it's supposed to be. Yeah, in the same same vein as like Arthur Miller and the Crucible. And yes, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so you don't have to. Um, uh, and one of the things I was thinking was the film depicts um, royalty starting to kind of almost crush the influence of the church. So you're kind of picking out all these kind of pockets that are still governed by the Catholic Church so that you can form this big republic. Um, uh-huh. So we see the downfall of Grandier and, and his village and it's all very depressing. But the modern audience can can see the the kings and, and, and all have done this and princes. It's, it's, it's part of their kind of uh, junta. And in about 100 years' time... They're like they're going to face the chop because the people are going to turn against yeah. them. Remember, like, yeah, and get yeah. the guillotine out, and you know the storming of the Bastille. Yeah, and, of course, and yeah, and yeah, the, the revolution. Yeah. The revolution. So, although the film kind of ends quite sadly, because I think I think at the end we kind of are rooting for Grandier, aren't we? And we're yeah, kind of definitely. Out, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, those, yeah, those guys are bastards. But in a, in a hundred years' time, those guys are going to get their comeuppance, and they're all yeah, going to be sent true. to the guillotine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although, actually, the individuals won't. They'll, no, because they'll be dead. They'll, they'll be dead. <laughs> Their offspring. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the institutions will at least. So at least that's kind of some yeah. kind of. But then even again, the institution doesn't. The institution's still there. Yeah, it's just it's capitalism. Just, just now, took, isn't it? It took a big. Well, no, it's still the Catholic Church and still the. It was the product um, of the revolution, though. Like the, yeah. the middle class that took power, or the ruling class that yeah. The, yeah. the private landowners and the. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's yeah. I suppose yeah. There's Catholic Church still, and there's. Yeah. The ruling classes still in capitalism, yeah. especially in England. Like England yeah. is crazy. It's like uh, whenever the, well, there was weird revolution, wasn't it, in England? When the, the, I think they brought back like Oliver Cromwell, and yeah, uh, he filled in for a while, and then you had they brought the aristocracy back after yeah. he died, and then you still yeah. had private landowners who, for the most part, ran the show, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Not too clued in on English history after that. No, neither am I. I think a similar thing. Did a similar thing happen in France as well? Like the aristocracy came back temporarily, hmm. possibly. I'm not sure. What did you call the mad guy, uh, the French Revolution leader? Um, Robespierre. Robespierre. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I remember him. He's a bit mad. Like, yeah. He was insane. Yeah. But he yeah, was yeah. basically paranoid the entire time. Yeah, he was like a he was like your classic sort of bloodthirsty dictator. Like, yeah. yeah. Has there been a film about him? There should be a film about him. <laughs> uh, there's bound to be. There's a Hilary Mantel novel about him. Hilary Mantel wrote Wolf Hall. Massive, massive fucking novel. Plays a greater safety. I think that would be ripe for someone of like I know he's dead now, but if Ken Russell had have directed something like that. Yeah, yeah. We should do it. Yeah, yeah why not? Film about Robespierre. <laughs> Let's crowdfund this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> why does Why does Grandier? Um, care about Protestants because uh, he, he seems to want Protestants and Catholics to live side by side I, I, I think he essentially he sees the he sees a functioning society inside um, Ludon and he sees that it's, it's made up of uh, Catholics and Huguenots and he says well you can't destroy this these guys are all all dedicated to the cause of, of Ludon so, um, and that's pretty cool and yeah, and we love it. So things are going okay. Yeah, so don't prosecute. We just keep mentioning or freedom, persecute them. I guess. Like yeah. that, that seems yeah. to be his kind of like thing, freedom. But then self governance. But then maybe that ties in with his sort of like 
ability to flaunt his, you know, yeah, thing with women. You know, he, yeah. he can just like uh, sleep with whoever he wants. Yeah, you know? yeah. I suppose essentially he is a heretic. Like he's uh, he he's taken his own sort of uh, route through Catholicism. He's married. He's married his wife by himself. He has actually conducted his own marriage ceremony and stuff. You know, yeah. th- things that a Catholic, a strict Catholic, can't do. You know. Yeah. So it's maybe not and so much. He's, he's found. He's found a. A religious explanation for this, which essentially constitutes a heresy, you know. So he he's a heretic, who I suppose in the eyes of the church then does deserve to be burned. But um, yeah. but that's you know. so was yeah. So his his motives might not be entirely altruistic, because uh, because the the way things are, the people are happy, but he's also happy because he gets to yeah. have sex with women and mm. he has an army at his at his command. Yeah. And, but I mean, like by heretic, I I don't. I don't mean some. I don't mean a. Neg- I don't imply any sort of negativity. You know, just a yeah. disagreement with. He the, just is. Just yeah, with the orthodox. Here we'll have some of this Grand Marnier. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> what were you gonna say, Steve? Oh. Uh, um, I was just kind of thinking about like it's not really the time or the place to talk about it, but um, we'll do it anyway. Um, yes. So Christianity in general, I kind of think sometimes it's the church of. Uh, cheers, guys. Cheers. Um, like originally when it started out it must have been quite a persecuted group uh-huh. and I think that's maybe the thing that led it to be so awful what? because it became so powerful because it was so persecuted and when it finally like kind of flourished it was still persecuted in their eyes maybe this is just yeah. me sort of reading into it a bit much maybe but well, because it was so persecuted everything else that tried to interrupt it said you know we were the ones wronged in the first place and Kind of maybe parallel to what's happening in Israel. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say it as well. Yeah. Isn't so, isn't that it though? Possibly, you know. That's you know. Because whenever they have that day that they kind of mark the the, the world marks the Holocaust, mm. and all the kind of you know uh, Jew, you know kind of high high profile Jewish leaders and all the kind of high profile Israeli politicians, they all have this big somber march and um, they make a big deal out of it, and rightly so. Um, but you, but I kind of watch those scenes now with a, with a bit of cynicism because I kind of think, yeah, the Holocaust was absolutely horrendous, but so was bombing a UN shelter with lots of children. <laughs> yeah, inside. I think I think the the problem is that um, Judaism and uh, is well, or and Zionism, uh, or Zionism in the Israeli sense, or. Are sort of now lumped in as one always, you know, and that's dangerous, you know. It's like so, when you condemn the actions of Israel, people tend to condemn the actions of the Jews. But that's 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 where you get a Holocaust from again, you know. That's, yeah. Uh, and that's it's dangerous. It's very dangerous territory, yeah. you know, yeah. because um, obviously every Jew doesn't support the actions of Israel. Yeah. And every Israeli doesn't support the actions of Israel. But you know. that kind of sums up my feelings towards Christianity in a way, because like I'm an atheist. Like I just I think it's all nonsense, but. At the end of the day, the, the Catholic Church is a horrible institution. Any sort of church in general, to me, is a horrible institution. But I suppose if you reduce it back to its origins, maybe you can find some sort of redeeming sense and mm-hmm. that it was meant to be this thing. Yeah. I guess it was just, just be dead on, <laughs> kind of in a way. Sort of, I appreciate, like, obviously their God at the time, but, like, mm-hmm. just be dead on to the people around you. Yeah. Like, maybe I'm, like, I don't know enough about it at the minute to well speculate that much but that would be my sort of assumption how it originally came about yeah because they were so persecuted some of those peoples 
Yeah. That, that they find, oh, just, you know, treat your neighbour as you wish to be treated sort of thing. Yeah. I, I think also, like, a, a history of persecution is very useful to those who are power-hungry, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, having... It, 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 like, a history of persecution almost implies, uh, like, a... And this should not be taken wrong because I'm not implying that, like, well, actually, I need to be very careful what I say here. <laughs> but uh, a history of persecution can be taken in certain circumstances as a a sort of, like, validation of morality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um... It's like, ultimately, you triumphed and yeah. God justified that. Because yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think uh, that becomes then very useful for those who are power hungry yeah. to... Um, I think so because you, because you've always got the kind of um, uh, for example if you look at Israel and you know they can kind of hark back to the Holocaust so that means that they've they've always got that kind of martyrdom that and that, yeah. that martyrdom becomes part of their philosophy like their the part of their philosophy is we are the the oppressed people we we've always been oppressed everyone's always trying to oppress us so you can't complain when we murder 600 Palestinian civilians because yeah. the Holocaust, remember? You, you could say that about the Russian Revolution as well. Yeah. yeah. They didn't mind killing off people that disagreed with them. Because yeah. they said, you know, you, you're not doing it right. We're the ones that like you know, had to fight through this. Yeah. But you guys, you know, we've got a plan here and you're interrupting, you know, our plan for freedom for everybody. Yeah. They, yeah. I think the uh, weird thing about Marxism or uh, Leninism anyway and Trotskyism and Stalinism was that they all they all used they all used the idea of persecution of people as a tool <laughs> yeah. like I, I like written written down and like original their original manifesto was written down as a tool to uh, achieve their their goals so it was like almost like it was a defense of earlier persecution but it was also like let's use what we've what has been put on us let's use it as they're just open about it I suppose yeah. like you know in the same yeah. way that that other nations are clandestine about it, but are you know, two-faced about it. They're just, um, yeah, they were. Um, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, <laughs> it does matter, but it's it's, it's not. It's, you know, I'm not going to keep going on about. Well, but for, they, like I think like what you're saying. I remember you know sort of a nice quote. I can't remember who said it, but it was something to do with like if you're going to beat them with a stick, at least make it the people's stick. And, <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> what a what a dick thing to say. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, do you want to kind of finish off this discussion by listening to Grandier's speech at the start because he kind of talks about um, standing up for their what their 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 city and their walls. It kind of t- ties, ties into what we were. Ollie Reed will always put us better than we ever do. <laughs> Big O R, yeah, the Reedster, <laughs> Reedster. <laughs> People of Ludo, as often as you see our city walls. Standing still proud and erect, no matter what your faith, then surely you must feel a need to build a temple in your hearts in remembrance of He who preserved them for you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. That's recording again. <laughs> so it's it's a film that is I don't know if is it classified as a horror film by most people. Um, I think I, it is. Yeah, 
Would you say it is a horror film? Do you think it? I don't think I would. I think it did before it went into it. But no, it's not really. It's more of a political drama to me. And yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a horror film. I, I wouldn't. I would say it's as much a horror film as as the Crucible, or as the Crucible is a horror play or whatever. You know, I wouldn't classify the book as a horror book. It it, it does kind of fit into that non exploitation um, subgenre of the of the horror genre, though. Um, it's obviously, I mean, not as. Uh, not as kind of camp and, and silly as maybe like a you know like a Jess Franco non exploitation type thing. Yeah. Um, and I think probably non exploitation films came out of films like um, The Mark of the Devil and The Devils. Um, the one I'm thinking of is, is The Killer Nun. Do you guys ever see The Killer Nun? Mm, no. It's an Italian film starring uh, Anita Ekberg, um, one of her last rules. And it's about this nun who becomes addicted to methadone and se- seemingly. That's all good nuns do. Seemingly, anyway, goes about um, killing people, so it ends up like a bit of a slasher film. Yeah. So I kind of put the devils kind of in that kind of category um, because there's a good there's a good amount of gore and kind of sexual violence and violence itself and quite kind of gothic imagery. So I think I probably would class it as a horror film. What was that Jess Franco film that we watched? The Demons. The Demons, yeah, because it's kind of similar in theme, isn't it? But yeah, we'll see. The the, the Demons was just a rip off. I mean, that's oh, that? that's a large proportion of Jess Franco's output was <laughs> was just kind of perfunctory filmmaking. So a studio would say, "Slasher films are big. Jess, do us a slasher film. Cannibal films are big. Do us a cannibal film." Yeah. The Devils was a big hit. Do us. Do us a rip off of that. But was the yeah. Devil's a big hit though? I don't think it was. No, not at the time. I don't think, but it was obviously. Which is like, that's really made. weird to me though that that film wasn't big. Yeah, I know it like, is. I it's it's it astounding, like that. But it must have made enough of him. I mean, Oliver Reed and Vanessa Redgrave. I mean, it must have made yeah. must have made an, enough of an impression for for the Spanish to think it was worthy of a yeah. of a rip off. True. Yeah, and you know his film's called The Demons. I'm I'm not I'm not convinced that it it is it is horror it it is horror I mean but like I suppose the 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 boundaries of what constitutes horror change you know yeah. um, it doesn't feel like a genre film to me you know it, it's not a genre film it's, no uh, that's true it's uh, it's a, a true and brutal story that is. Uh, yeah. It's told in a really really strange way like uh, like like would you classify the Wicker Man as horror? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a bit of a grey area as well. Like you know, it is, uh, it's always sort of been classified as horror, but it's, it's definitely it's, classified as horror. Yeah, but not not, not much horrific happens in it. Yeah. Um, I suppose at like what point do you get into horror territory? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, would you say would you classify spit in your grave as horror? Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. For some reason, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think psycho. I mean, Psycho. Same thing. Only really one real horrific moment but uh, so I don't know strange it seems as I was saying to you before it seems a bit like uh, seems to share as much with like cabaret and yeah. and Shakespeare as it does with with any sort of horror movie you know and I think it's really Kubrick-esque and uh, yeah yeah you're right um, it in is. fact I, I, I knew I recognised Mignon from somewhere and he's in Barry Lyndon oh is that yeah ah okay I right. think he is towards the end when Lyndon is like he's you know he's kind of reached his, his pinnacle and then he starts cheating on his wife and then his son dies and then his stepson grows up to hate him and challenges him to a duel 
Yeah. I think his... I think Mignon, the guy who plays Mignon plays um, one of the kind of priest footmen who follows right. okay. his wife and stepson around and is ultimately on their side and hates Brian Linden. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Th- 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 this is actually the thing about um, the majority of the people in the film don't appear to have done much since. Yeah. Like... like Oliver Reed and... Well, no. Well, well, had a... Well, not Oliver Reed and Vanessa Redgrave, but the rest of the characters. Like, yeah. even even most of them don't even have a picture on IMDb. Yeah, Father. Like, I tried to look. I remember looking up Father Barry's character, and he didn't seem. Yeah, to, yeah. doesn't seem to have done yeah, much. Yeah, he had a few films, and, and I think he committed suicide like yeah. ten years later. Did he? I think so. Yeah. Did he? Dudley Sutton. I looked up on IMDb. He, yeah, he had like 140, 150 films, but there's no pictures of him. They're all all really. Um, in the documentary, they had. Um, it was like Mark Remote went to meet Ken Russell to show because he had found this brilliant, rape of yeah it's really good like uh, anybody out there should watch the documentary it's on YouTube anyway but uh, the, he goes to meet Ken Russell and he brings along the guy that plays Father Mignon and the the pale faced mistress oh yeah, yeah. as well and yeah. they both go and watch the Rape of Christ scene yeah which none of them had seen since they filmed it I think right um, it's it's yeah. quite interesting, but it's weird that he, Ken Russell brings them into what he calls his studio. It's just a wee tiny room, isn't it's it? A, it's essentially a bedroom with a sort of tiny shit TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. One of those like old school TVs as well. Like, like they're not doing it justice at all. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they're all kind of crammed, like perched on a bed. Yeah. It's <laughs> like uh, what do you call it? Thing it was a big breakfast. Yeah. Do you see this off off of subject? But. Uh, in Brassai, um, there's a. You remember Brassai? Chris uh-huh. Morris? Right. Brassai. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a, an extra on the DVD that has Chris Morris get a load of homeless people, a load of guys who he gives. He gets them around his flat and he sticks on an episode of Brassai and he records, he just audio records them. They're com- commentary and he. <laughs> I think he like, he like leaves them up a hash sitting inside a cigarette box for them and uh, he doesn't give it to them but he leaves it there and a load of skins and tobacco and uh, gives them a load of beer and like um, like hides a bottle of vodka down the side of the sofa so they keep going like fucking hell I just found a lump of hash in a cigarette box <laughs> and they, they like their commentary narrates Brassai and it's 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 bizarre like it's it's weird it's well, just, I don't want to hear that man and then every now and then they're like hey, it's that guy it's that it's that, that's Chris that's Chris that's the guy who's, this is his flat this is that guy Chris <laughs> And they're like, no, that's not Chris. That guy's a woman. It's like, no, it's not. That's Chris. It's it's really really surreal. Like, but uh, it's it's brilliant. Like, it's a brilliant idea. Um, maybe maybe sort of exploitative, but um, I don't know. It's 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 strange. It's it, it doesn't. There's no no talk about it before or after. It just sort of happens. That's you know? class. I want to see that now. Yeah. I don't even know if it explains what has actually happened. You just sort of gather this has happened because one of them says like he just came up to me and like. Do you want to come over to my flat and watch something? <laughs> I always wondered that about Chris Morris. Like, um, I think it was especially the episode where he was talking about drugs. It was a cake. It was the made up. Yeah. 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 Where he goes and approaches what he, well, in the episode it's claimed as a real drug dealer. Yeah. He's yeah. asking him all these like, weird <laughs> yeah. made up words. Yeah. Don't you have any like smacky backy or whatever? Yeah. 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 And the guy going, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's, like it, was it an actual 
I don't know. I, I like to think it was, but I, I considering it's Chris Morris, it probably it, is. Really, yeah, I would he, say. Uh, he seems like a fearless kind of guy. Like. Yeah, I think you do anything for that kind of yeah stuff. But um, yeah, that guy Dudley Sutton. I looked up his the guy who plays the Baron um, de Lubardemont. Yeah. Oh, the only stuff because I I knew I recognised him from somewhere, but I didn't actually wasn't actually able to find where I knew him from. No, it seems to be Coronation Street, EastEnders, Doctors. He just seems to have been kind of a generic British actor. Yeah, he looks he looks a bit like that Welsh guy in Game of Thrones, the guy who uh, works on a wall, Um, works on a wall, whatever. Don't don't watch Game of Thrones. Who's the one that works at the guy? Is, is he one of those like Black Knights or something? Yeah, Knights Knights Watch. Knights Watch. Yeah, yeah, one of the like the, the hard ass sort of general or something. I don't know, whatever he is. But um, yeah, like I wondered, did Russell kind of specifically pick a, a kind of unknown actors in order maybe. to give it maybe a bit more impact? Because he said, you know, that's why he said it in the sixteen hundreds, so you could step back. So maybe that's why he didn't want. So, like, uh, but my impression of Father Barry was like um, he just stood out from everybody else as well. Like, yeah. obviously the glasses yeah. were there, but even the gloves were kind of strange. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that kind of set him apart. It was just like he didn't seem to fit in. No, he, he looks like he's from the seventies. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, yeah, just the, the hair as well. And the John Lennon glasses. Yeah. yeah, he looks like he's in a shit prog band. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about Gemma Jones? I mean, like she, Madeline? she, her, yeah, her character could have been. It could have been really boring, but actually she... I thought she did a really good job. Yeah, she did a really good job. Yeah. She's in uh, Marvelous, and I really Marvelous, the thing with Toby Jones. Um, no? I think she plays his mum. Uh, Who? I'm not sure if, if she plays his mum or... I, I, I watched it a few months ago. She plays Mary, anyway. I'm not sure if Mary's his mum or the woman in the shop. But uh, Marvelous is this film with Neil... Shit, what's it called? Neil Lennon? Something, not like Lennon. Uh, Neil... Uh, <laughs> the footballer? <laughs> yeah. Well, Sorry. this is the thing. He is... Um, he's, he's, a, he's a clown. He's a real guy. He's he's a registered clown. Uh, he was a circus performer as a clown. And he also then got a job as... Uh, as, like, a kick guy. I've, I've even forgotten the football team. I've, I've looked all of... I watched this about a month ago and I looked all of it up again this morning. I've forgotten the name of the football team. <laughs> Uh, Celtic? No, not Celtic. But uh, Plymouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the guy who was <laughs> the Scottish guy, Scottish footballer, who was the manager. Right, I'm gonna have to look this up. But um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> as I do that. Anyway, it's uh, it's it's absolutely brilliant film. Toby Jones, who was in Barbarian Sound uh, oh, Studio, yeah. is in it. And uh, he's 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 absolutely it's one of his best roles. Like you know, it's it's BBC film. I went to see Serena. Is that recently? And it's yeah, yeah, awful. Is it really? One of the worst films I've seen in a long time. Don't go see Serena. Don't waste your time. Here, you 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 know you know the um, uh, Grandier's kind of first first mistress with with the painted face. Uh Why does she have a painted face? I don't know. Is she a prostitute? No, no, she's, no, she's not a prostitute. No, she's not. No, she sent him uh, by her father to learn Latin. To learn Latin, and obviously, that should be part of the time of what it is to be a beautiful woman. Yeah, yeah but no one else has their face painted white. Yeah. No, I don't. I, don't, I can't explain that part. But like, I was sort of just going through history, and but yeah, you could be right actually. But who is her dad? Uh, he's the 
he's a count or something or is baron that, and he challenges like uh, he's a bit weird about the prosecuting Grandje on the witchcraft thing as well because yeah. he wants it to be sort of a bit more personal I yeah think. that's what I gathered anyway yeah. he wants to prosecute him himself I think if anything yeah. It's crazy at the end when they're all on the balcony watching him oh, burn. Weird, and then like holding up his son and stuff. Is there like, I wasn't sure like, because well, I think this is what's particularly well done about it. Um, when your, your woman, whose name I've forgotten, the, the, the first mistress. Yeah. She is on the balcony as well, obviously. But is there a slight pang of like, you know, fuck, what have we done? Because she smiles a lot through it. But then I think at one stage there's a kind of a flinch. Dear frown. I don't know. It's difficult to tell. But then I thought like the frown was just like, oh, I better put on the old well, brave face. It, everything's so nuanced in it. And one of the things I noticed about the film is people rarely say what they mean or act in a way yeah. in, in accordance with what they mean. It, it's everything. Everyone is so deceitful. Every, everyone, like you can't take anything that anyone says for granted. And... The, the majority of people spend seem to spend the, the 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 film saying the opposite of what they mean and and lying and and being deceitful. Like you, there aren't really any characters who are, you can trust. I mean, even even Sister Jian um, <laughs> lies. I didn't yeah. trust her from the start. You know what I mean? No, like her her whole shtick from the start was well, you can't really trust her at all. Yeah, actually, she, she really reminded me of like the... Nurse Ratchet. From the start, uh, from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh yeah! Oh bloody hell! Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, even though that was, that was I don't know that was filmed like a year later, two years later or something. Wasn't it? Um, yeah, I think really that close. Maybe, maybe it was the same time. It was it was quite close, but um, yeah, I don't know something immediately like from the first first appearance on screen just reminded me the way she looked at the other nuns reminded me of Nurse mm. Ratchet. Um, sorry, this is uh, this is going back and it's, it's sort of irrelevant, <laughs> but. Uh, Neil Baldwin was the guy, and uh, uh, Lou, Lou, Lou McCarry, who was a Scottish footballer and then became a manager oh, yeah. of. Um, oh, no, so he was Northern Irish, Lou McCarry, wasn't he? No, he's Scottish. Did he play for United? He? Yeah, he did play for United. I'm he thinking of it, yeah. McElroy, that's what I'm thinking. I think he has a chip shop near Old Trafford. You could be wrong. Lou McCarry, really? I yeah, think he does. Yeah. He definitely, I know he definitely played for United. There's a couple of footballers, ex footballers, have chip shops near United, um, <laughs> near Old <Bank> Trafford, anyway. <laughs> Nothing else they can do. I think I was in his chip shop and it's shite. Oh, that's annoying. Well, that's typical crap chip shop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chipper. It was, it was Stoke City, this guy he played for. And, or he didn't play for them, he was their kit manager. But he, he, had, he had like learn, learning difficulties or learning disability or something. And, uh, I love the way you mispronounce difficulties. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he uh, he just basically became friends with everybody important in, okay. in any field he was, uh, he was interested in. Hmm. And uh, it was it was amazing. Uh, he, it, it's it's a brilliant film, marvelous. You should check it out. It's just it's, it's quite life affirming without being twee or sentimental, you know. Okay. It's, uh, and Toby Jones, I is do like Toby Jones, absolutely so. brilliant. Like, yeah, he's phenomenal. And uh, the actual uh, Neil Baldwin is, is in it as well, playing himself. Um, and they sort of have a we we sort of like twenty four hour party people, this sort of style, sort of you know chat. About you know the the reality of the actual thing, metatextual sort of meta, <laughs> you know, metafictional sort of idea, but it's um, good. Anyway, sorry, back to uh, back to the horror. Um. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got one more clip. Since we're talking about Sister Jeanne, it's her talking to uh, Madeline, 
uh, and she kind of explains the real reason why um, women get sent to the monastic life. Yeah. So, should we listen to that and then come back with our marks out of 17 and our closing remarks? Yeah. Sure. Maybe we should come back with our marks out of 666. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll do marks out of 666. <laughs> okay, so we'll let's listen to uh, Vanessa Redgrave first. 666 or 616? Yeah, well, that, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe, um, maybe somebody, just, somebody could give it the mark of 616. Then. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll, work, we'll work out this devilment while we're listening to this clip. <laughs> Do you know why most of us are here? Because you love our Lord Jesus Christ and wish to serve him. Most of the nuns here are noble women who have embraced the monastic life because there was not enough money at home to provide them with dowries. <laughs> or they were unmarriageable because ugly, a burden to the family. Communities which ought to be furnaces where souls are forever on fire with the love of God are merely dead with the grey ashes of convenience. Here's a book written by the founder of our order, Angela Medici. When you've studied it, come back. I shall question you. Thank you, Mother. God bless you. So, I think, um, I think, I think that that sort of gives a, a really, really good example of uh, of Redgrave's Vanessa Redgrave's uh, performance and, and Gemma Jones as well. Like, uh, so, marks out of six, six, six. <laughs> or six one six one six. Take your pick, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's it's a, it seems like a it's, it's an obscure number. Or yeah, fucking six six six. Yeah. Some people, Paulshire, you, you give Mark us your, six six six. You give us your your your, your final closing review. Okay, uh, I think it's the best film we've we've watched in this context, and I think it is also one of the best films I've watched ever. Uh, it's it's astounding. Like it's. Uh, it's like my, I don't know. My my first impressions of it were that it it was going to be maybe sort of like kitschy and maybe Monty Python esque, but it it turned into something something totally different. Um, and uh, I didn't know until afterwards that the, the sets were intentionally made made to sort of uh, sort of echo Metropolis and uh, oh yeah, first line. That they are, and it, like that—that's the only thing that you can compare the sets to. The sets are monumental, like in in, in literal sense of the word. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. It's 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 a absolutely brilliant. I, I can't really like. Sometimes the dialogue becomes a little bit clunky, and um, sometimes it becomes a little bit melodramatic, um, especially with Oliver Reed. But like <laughs> at that, you can't you can't fault it too much. And I I would. I would give it six six zero, six six six. So, d- deducting a, a fraction of a percentage there, probably. I don't know. I do the, do the maths yourself. I don't know a calculator. Or yeah. Even if it did, who cares? Who, who gives a shit? <laughs> I, I would give it a very, very, very high mark out of out of six six six. Yeah. Six six two. Say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I. I mean. I, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's. Um, I think we kind of reached a consensus. I mean, I think it's one of the best films I've ever seen. Uh, I'm not sure I would have got round to seeing it anytime soon if they hadn't picked it. It's one of those. Um, 
films that I was kind of always been aware of and when the BFI release was being prepared um, there were a few adverts taken out in some various magazines and I remember seeing the adverts you know remastered release of Ken Russell's classic and going oh right okay so that's obviously supposed to be a rinse out but yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure how soon I really really got around to seeing it so I'm glad you picked it D and um, just 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 utterly blew me away Um one of the one of the things that really got me watching was the opening scene when they're they're having the funeral and everything is white but all of a sudden um the entire congregation in mourning uh, are all dressed in black with massive black flags it actually looks like a looks like a mayday uh, <laughs> parade of a bunch of anarchists yeah. but but the 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 effect of of all that black cloth um being juxtaposed against the kind of white background, uh, as soon as I saw that, I thought, right, this this is going to be a, a film that's very, um, very kind of uh, aware of its own of, of its own status as a piece of art, and 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 there is definitely an artistry in the, in the filmmaking process, and it's not often that someone that fi- that a film can uh, uh, combine so many layers of subtext and plot and characterization with that level of artistry. I mean, it's it's an absolutely phenomenally well-made film. It's absolutely beautifully 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 well well made. And um in that, that documentary that we keep referring to, someone points out that well, part of the reason is because the set was made at Pinewood, so so lighting wasn't ever a problem. So, you know, if if, if they'd set it in um like if it be, if it had been more low budget and they and they had to use act, actual old churches and stuff because they couldn't afford to build them it might not have been it might not have looked as good because they would have had to have lit up old buildings but as it stands because it's all been um uh built from scratch and it's in a studio where you don't have to deal with with you know the the, the problems that surround using natural light i think that just gives the picture um a certain quality that you might not have got from a lower budget film i mean and pretty much all, all the performances are essentially flawless there isn't really i mean you don't really get any of that kind of uh Campness um, that you that you would get in the film like The Wicker Man. Like I, I've I've watched um I've I've watched The Wicker Man twice in this in the cinema and both times it's it's been kind of just peppered with audience giggling at some of them kind of more camper silly moments. I don't really think you get that with The Devils. I think it's I think it's a fairly flawless film. I'd be very very hard pushed to pick out any any issues with it. Um, uh, the only thing I can think of would maybe be, be, be it's maybe quite a male male centric film in terms of the fact that we know that there are plenty of uh, elderly nuns, but we don't see any of them <laughs> running around naked. Um, so there's maybe that, but um, but it's a new convent, is it? Hmm? Is it a new convent? But is it not like Sister Agnes? Isn't Sister Agnes? Isn't she? She's one of the older ones who is she? Yeah, I think. Or Sister, Sister Judith or Sister Agnes? I think like actually, she's. When we're on that point anyway, because like you've, you've seen the rape of Christ scene. Yeah. Did you not notice there was quite a few, like, kind of not perfect arses? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You yeah. know that sort of Hollywood perfect arse they always put in, but they, that yeah. doesn't exist in the rape of Christ yeah. scene, I noticed. There was a lot of, like, you know, people who have a lot of weight on them. Yeah. Which, yeah. like, if that had been left in, would that have shifted the focus away from perfect bodies? Perhaps. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Because I definitely I, noticed that anyway. That's possible, yeah. Actually, uh, two things. When you when you said Sister Agnes or Sister Judith, she was billed, she was called Judith in real life. Uh, that, that was the actress's name. Uh, but she was billed as Sister Judith in the in the 
casting, but she was actually referred to as Sister Agnes in the film. With the perfect arse thing, have you ever seen... <laughs> the perfect arse thing? <laughs> have you ever seen Silo? That, uh, that just yeah. reminded me of Silo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. That, that could uh, be... Uh, uh, it could be a contender, uh, contender. I don't think I'm going to choose that I today. That idea, I think that's <laughs> another BFI release. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. But I, I mean, I mean, also, I think I think the the the, the counter argument to that is that it, it's it's not it's not really sexualized. I and mean, that sounds silly because it's a bunch of women. Ma- yeah, you're right. It's, it's you not. don't you don't watch it and get turned on by it. Um, you know, like you're not watching it going, oh wow, these you know bunch of young women because it, it's the, the the bodies aren't the bodies aren't kind of sexualized. Everything about it is absurd. Yeah, it's, it's exactly it's, it's chaotic just, it's, it's and absurd. Silly. It's, it's not like there's nothing. Uh, yeah, any sort of like sexual reference is way way over the top, like viz sort of over the top. <laughs> uh, so it's not it's it doesn't yeah. ring as a sort of sexual scene or yeah. sexual thing. It's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, that was my only possible way in which it's the film. I could see any any problems with the film, but um, and it's strange because Ken Russell is, is is notorious for being incredibly incredibly sexual and on screen or in the films, but yeah, but not in this maybe where well, mm. it's used in a different way. It is used in a different way, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think I probably would give it like. Six 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 four or something. I mean, I, I would be very very hard pushed to find any, to find anything wrong with it. I think it's phenomenal, and I think I'll probably watch it again very very soon. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I probably will as well. I really hope we get to see a proper uncut version someday. Mm. Yeah. Okay, young Do you? David. Um, I think I'm the same. Like, um, I think it's one of those films. Like, it seems to have this perfect amount of what theology, philosophy, and like. Uh, a political conspiracy like all wrapped into this nice ball of uh, well <clears throat> like well written scripts uh, perfectly acted scenes good actors it's just got everything you want like you know it's, uh, I just think it all adds up to this nice sort of perfect film in some sort of way it's got beautiful set design um, I think Paul as you pointed out it was just it's this massive almost perfect spectacle like the way it's designed um, and then you throw all of that into it, and it's got it's just everything you want in the film. Um, there's not really much more I can add to it than that. Like, um, just, yeah, I think that I think well, the only sort of like I don't even think it's it's not a caveat at all. But like what you were saying, Ian, about the the sort of campness stuff. Yeah, I think there's a wee bit of campness in it, and but that's at the start. So I think we'd already talked about this the the crocodile part. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> that that's really intentional. I think that think? I think it must be, but I think that kind of helps like soften or dulls your senses a wee bit and sort of going along for the ride after that. Yeah, like, you know, that kind of like because when I watched it anyway, the people I watched it with, we all laughed at that. But then after that, I don't think anybody laughed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think it kind of helps, like, sort of, you know, it does dull your senses a bit. Yeah. And, uh, like, like, you're going on this roller coaster ride, and that's the sort of, like, the fun bit at the start. And then after that, you know, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be beaten over the head with all this very serious stuff, but it's uh, presented to you in a very sort of elegant way, you know. It's, 
Well, that's my opinion. And if I have to give a rating, I'm just going 666. Yeah, good. It's perfect. The Actually, I'm going to bring mine over 666. Let's make this as easy. Yeah, me too. As easy as possible. <laughs> 666 all around. I was just... The the the, the sort of the crocodile scene the that stuff it's almost sort of like Hogarthy you know um, anyway it doesn't matter uh, but yeah uh, I think um, I think I think six 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 is a perfect score for this one yeah. I think I think Ken Russell has he, he rinsed it didn't he yeah <laughs> he did rinse it yeah, yeah. yeah I can't knock because I think it Good is effort, one like. of the best films we've seen in a long yeah. time it like, is yeah, yeah I think if I'd seen that in the cinema. I don't know. Oh, I would have felt you. about that. Yeah. Like, I know. Away. Yeah, Jesus Christ! That would have been I mean, mean, one of my favorite films, like my yeah, one of my absolute favorite films of all time is Metropolis, and uh, uh, I think a lot of that to do, a lot of that is to do with the the, the sets. And mm-hmm. This is the sets. The sets in this were, as I mentioned before, were intended to imitate the sets in Metropolis, or but I, I think I think they way surpassed them. I think they, mm-hmm. they surpassed them by. Like just by visual stunning, yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I, I, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't get, I couldn't get over it. Like when I, first of all, even even the way the people are positioned on the sets. Yeah, it's uh, there's uh, yeah, there's a bit where there's somebody like just positioned just to the left of a massive, massive, or sorry, yeah, just to the left of a massive like stained glass window, and the fact that they're like a couple of they're a foot away from the stained glass window just sets off the entire. I think actually it's it's Grande is is set set on the side of the window, just just sets it off, just like yeah. makes you appreciate how amazing a set is, like you know, yeah. it's just the, that little tiny bit of imbalance makes you see see how perfect everything else is, you know. Yeah. It's beautiful. It brought back my memories, like and you mentioned it, of Barry Lyndon. Mm. Yeah, the first time I saw that was like you'd suggested going to see it in the cinema because KFT were showing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know anything about Barry Lyndon and then when I saw it I was just completely blown away Barry Lyndon is brilliant yeah, it's yeah. just such an amazing film but I kind of <laughs> got this again from the devils like it was mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like period pieces or for some reason I know but like yeah, I've I've had these experiences now with Barry Lyndon uh, the devils and weirdly Amadeus as well oh yeah cool have you seen Amadeus yeah yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah I, maybe it's a sort of like Shakespearean type speech or something but I don't know. Maybe it's the the scenery or the actors, but there's something about all three of those films like remind me of each other. So. Um, speaking of the uh, scenery, there's one kind of anecdote that I heard that was quite funny. Um, you know the bit where the uh, where the walls blew up. Did you guys hear about this anecdote? Oh yeah, they blew. Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. It was basically um, it, it had always been blamed on. An engineer, but then recently, it was actually the the Mark Kermode democ- uh, documentary. Um, Ken Russell kind of gives the 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 true version of of what happened, and basically the bit where uh, the Baron comes out and he nods, and then the wall blew, then they blow up the wall. Um, because apparently Ken Russell had been uh, like he would kind of go go around the set and give people bollockings and. Because it was towards the end of the film, everyone was kind of like no one could be arsed being told off by Ken Russell anymore. So no one, no one wanted to be in charge of pressing the button to, to blow up the wall. <laughs> so it ended up that Ken Russell had to do it himself, and because he was so eager that he pushed it too early. So so the Baron nods, and then the the wall blows up, and then the camera pans around, and it's too late, and everything's all everything's yeah. already blown up. 
So they had to stop filming and rebuild the set, and it took a month, and then had to come yeah. back and film that scene again because he pressed the button too early. Fuck's sake! Blew the set up. They did quite like that part as well, though, where Grande comes out and produces like the papers or whatever that says yeah. you can't do this. Yeah. And then he's already given the order to pull the wall down. It slightly falls over. Yeah. And he's obviously <laughs> been threatened with uh, execution if he does this. But uh, it's it's fallen down anyway, and they go stop. <laughs> yeah. But it's still falling. You know, are they going to kill him? I <laughs> uh, bricked it. Fall there. <laughs> um, I was also sort of thinking that we haven't got the. Nobody yet has mentioned. But I don't know Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Rick Mail. <laughs> yeah. uh, whenever I'm near to the theatre. <laughs> whenever I bring my spirit to the theatre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if anyone wonders what we're talking about, uh, Rick Mail, kind of one of his, the people's poet alter egos, he does this hilarious poem called The Theatre, and it's like, really laboured rhymes with the word theatre is like whenever I'm near to the theatre <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to pick a song for the end I'm going to pick Rick Mail <laughs> are you going to? <laughs> class <laughs> class um, okay uh, so up next it's Paul then what are you going to pick Paul? well my uh, <laughs> well my original uh Intention before I watched the Devils was to pick the uh, the Witchfinder General Hammer movie. Vincent Price, <laughs> but uh, with Vincent Price. But now I'm thinking of either. I I I really want to go with Hammer. Uh, I mean, um, autumn and winter put me in the mood for Hammer. Uh, Christmas especially. Uh, I always, always always watch a lot of Hammer movies, so I'm thinking either Curse of Frankenstein from 1957, or Dracula from 1958. And, also does. Uh, I watched the Curse of Frankenstein a while ago. I haven't yeah. seen Dracula. I think I watched it. I think I mentioned to you I'd watched it. Curse of Frankenstein. Yeah, I think we were talking about there for Halloween. Yeah, uh, they were both actually both on BBC Four. Um, as was Witch Finder General, which was the first time I, I, I actually I watched Witch Finder General come back from your Halloween party yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was it, I, I thought it was amazing. And uh, only when I watched The Devils, I thought, ah, oh, shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a well, it doesn't matter. Similar film. So was, the film? Uh, was Oliver Reed in Dracula? Because uh, he mentions Peter Cushing in an interview. He he might have been in another Dracula. He uh, said if like Peter Cushing gave him like a bit of advice on yeah. how to act, and he, that's the one thing that's remained mm, with him. I don't know, but it wasn't Dracula, was it? I don't know. I, I don't think it was that that particular the nineteen fifty eight Dracula. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, Curse of Frankenstein is just. It's great. I think I think do you know one. I think I'm going to go with the Curse of Frankenstein. It's it's. It's wonderful. It's dark, and it's it, it's so much darker than I thought it would be. Uh, and uh, yeah, Christopher Lee's class in it. Isn't Christopher it? Lee yeah. is brilliant in it. Christopher Frankenstein it will be next. So, I, can't, I can't believe that's nineteen fifty-eight. Did you say nineteen fifty-seven? Christopher Jesus. Frankenstein. I uh, I've just seen just double checking the dates there while you were talking, uh, but uh, it is yeah nineteen fifty-seven. So it was like Devils was fourteen years later. Uh, 71 yeah. 71 bloody 
So get your get your bolts on. I mean, I need to. It's, it's also weird when you your think like puppy shoes. Um, whenever you said um, what do you call it, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It was like a couple of years later. That's really strange. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually it. not even sure it was a couple of years. I think it might have been. It could have even been that year. Like actually, my uh, I, my my friend went to. Uh, I, I I don't know what she was doing. She was in some some sort of when we were in school or maybe maybe just as we were going to university she was in some school some program where uh, she went to like work with these like underprivileged kids in i can't even remember the city but uh they they basically were working in the uh uh had their things in the asylum where the uh where one for the cook's nest was was filmed and she said they used to like go at night. The kids used to go at night to the ward that uh, one for the cuckoo's nest was filmed in, and they said it was haunted. And they said that they would they could would ask questions into the door, and knocks would come to the door. Say one one knock for yes, two knocks for no, and uh, and they said yeah, this this always happens. She they brought her there, and uh, they they asked her like we've got this this Irish girl over with us. Should we should we? Uh, should we take her inside and like no and uh, like, okay don't take me inside like, well I'll take you inside anyway so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so I can't remember but uh, they, uh, yeah, so it, was, it was all this like really really fucking creepy creepy stuff went on and it was in this ward that they filmed one for the cook's nest it's notoriously haunted and huh. <laughs> cool. which, uh, which I actually I don't think she believes or I, be- I believe them but it's a good story but uh, yeah. Actually, what a way to ruin a story! What a way to ruin a story by just saying I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> like telling the story of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't believe that either. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, I suppose that's that's time to so, wrap yeah. up another app with that anti climax. That's uh, <laughs> that's a uh, crazy piece we go story. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of tempted to pick like a haunted house film next time, but I think if you're picking Hammer, I might pick a Hammer film next time again as well. I could end up in depth of Hammers, but Hammer, Hammer is some some lovely quality about Hammer. Like yeah, some some lovely about the winter. You can you can watch Hammer Hammer in front of the film, in front in front of the film, in front of the fire with a. a I want to watch an old film. I think I I haven't seen it. Women in Love. Neither have I actually. Yeah, classic. Because that was another naked. Ken Russell film. Yeah, yeah, it like was. Yeah, classic naked wrestling scene in front of the fire. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's another uh, Alan Partridge thing when he's he's um, he's commentating on a boxing match just in the day to day, and he goes, um, "What's he talking about? He's talking about uh, is he talking about? He's, he says, um, I once witnessed uh, <laughs> bare knuckle box fighting in a in a barn, <laughs> and I was a sorry sight to see." grown men goading them on in such a barbaric fashion I'm rather ashamed to say I was party to that goading <laughs> <laughs> but then he says I don't know if you've ever seen uh, women in love uh, marvellous scene by the fire kind of resembled that <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Actually, Ken, Ken Russell seemed to have pretty much filmed every every sort of erotic uh, erotic literary yeah. novel ever like he, he, he uh, every D.H. Lawrence anywhere like. he did two D.H. Lawrence films I think I, th- I think Women Love Sons and Lovers maybe or mm-hmm. the, no The Rainbow sorry yeah The Rainbow, Rainbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah he's he's, 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 he's mad horny like <laughs> <laughs> seemed like a nice guy as well yeah 
seemed a bit mental to me, though. Like, seems, uh, quite, seems quite eccentric in that documentary, yeah. anyway. Well, like, because what did you call the uh, the film critic that was in that documentary? The Telegraph film critic? Because um, he, he's one of the ones that slagged it off at the time, said it wasn't art and all this. And yeah, and there was a famous news night. Um, all this, yeah, where Ken Russell hit him over the head with the paper. <laughs> yeah, with his own review. Yeah, Because <laughs> I think, like, he said something like... Um, Oh, it's it's not a very good film or whatever, blah blah blah, and then, uh, you know, Ken Russell said, "Well, it hasn't even been released yet." You know, how can you say stuff like this? And the film critic kind of responded and said, "Well, it's been out in America for a while now, and you know, it's kind of it's it's bombed there." And then Ken Russell shot back and said, "Well, if you love the fucking Americans so much, why don't you fucking move there?" <laughs> and then good. hit him with the paper. <laughs> And then he exactly. said something like about like how Wester had been an iron bar hidden in the paper. Holy <laughs> crap! Really weird. And then the critic who was uh, interviewed on the documentary said, uh, "Luckily, there wasn't an iron bar in there." Which is kind of yeah. a strange thing to say. It was almost like it was rehearsed. Yeah. <laughs> so they knew what the other person said. Yeah, I meant to say actually, I found a uh, um, Roger Ebert review, our, our old friend Roger Ebert. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I think I read that. He absolutely hated it. He gave it like zero stars out really? of five. Really? No, I, I, read, I, I read a Roger Ebert review that raved about it. Well, did he change his mind? It depends because the review the, the review is just sarcasm from start to finish. Really? Yeah. That's so weird. That he he, would he, give it he a... doesn't actually explain why why he hates it, but essentially the the point he makes throughout the the, the review is. Um, Ken Russell's justification for this horrible film is to expose um, these atrocities, but who cares about these atrocities? They happened in, 16, in the 1600s, so it doesn't matter. So strange. So basically, he says, um, and so I stood in line the other night, my shoulders hunched against the nasty wind off Lake Michigan, waiting to get into the cinema theater so that I too could ascertain the unspeakable atrocities that occurred in the 17th century. I didn't want to be the only member of my generation unaware of the terrible events of 1634, a year that will live in infamy. Like everyone who's committed, I found it my duty to bear witness against the moral outrages, or if not my time, that at least somebody's time. I mean, you can't just sit around. And Ken Russell has really done it this time. He has stripped the lid of respectability off the Ursuline Comet in Loudun, France. He has exposed Cardinal Richelieu as a political schemer. He has destroyed our illusions about Louis XIII. You know, the point he's making is he gives a shit about Louis XIII. Mm. We are filled with righteous indignation as we bear witness to the violation of the helpless nuns. It is all the more terrible because, as Russell fearlessly reveals, all the nuns, without, excep- without exception, were young and stacked. It is about that time that someone had the courage to tell it like it was about Loudon, a seeming respectable provincial town beneath the facade of which seethed simmering intrigues, unholy alliances, greed, fear, lust, avarices, sacrilege and nausea. The story has gone untold for too long. Aldous Huxley wrote a book about it and John Whiting wrote a play about it, but only Ken Russell has made a movie about it. <laughs> um, and he's, he, the whole thing is just that, from start to finish, completely sarcastic. He doesn't justify in any way why he thinks it's a bad film or not worthy. He, just, just tip, just... Being an they're just fucking dicks. Those two. Actually, they're just fucking dicks. <laughs> sorry, no, I I started reading a, a Roger. I, I got confused. I started reading a Roger Ebert review about this this morning, and then I I suddenly moved on to Roger Ebert review of Shoah, the film I was talking about, or the Holocaust film I was talking about earlier. Right, and I raved about that, and I read that, 
and then uh, now that I go back and read the Roger Ebert review, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You fucking hated it. <laughs> but, they, hate, uh, they, so hate, they hated the devils. Yeah. So he took it like that, literally. He basically said, who cares? That was essentially, <laughs> that was essentially his point. Who, yeah. who cares? It's really weird for a film critic to say anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Like, the, like art's always interpreted, yeah. regardless of yeah. whether it's presented to you like as a literal happen. <laughs> I, I, yeah. just, I just think those two were chancers. I just think they didn't have a fucking clue what they were talking about. And for some reason, America loved them and gave them a show. <laughs> but anyway, sure, we'll uh, wrap it up because we've been going on for far too long now. Um, so, young David Hanna, say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> and young Paul Doran, say goodbye. Goodbye. We'll see you goodbye. next time for Curse of Frankenstein, yeah? We will. Curse of Frankenstein. You'll love it. You'll hate it. <laughs> that was The Devils. See you next time. It's like a dead man. God bless. And the first poem's one of my angriest of all, and it's called Theatre. Ah, that's got him. <laughs> theatre. What are you, theatre? Whenever I'm near to the theatre, I... <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> theatre, the theatre, I ask myself this question. I don't know. Perhaps I should ask Vanessa Vidgvave. But I don't know Vanessa Vidgvave. And neither do you, theatre. Theatre, why are you theatre? <laughs> Whenever I meet a friend in the theatre, I shut up! <laughs> I ask him this question with my eyes. <laughs> he sighs and he replies like all the other guys I don't know. Ask Vanessa Vidgvave. But I don't know Vanessa Vidgvave. And neither do you, theatre. <coughs> theatre, are you theatre? Total. Whenever, whenever I carry my speater, the theatre, to do Hamlet, I ask it this question. It says nothing, except, I don't know, ask Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> but I don't know Vanessa Redgrave, and neither do you, theatre. Or do you? <laughs> don't clap. It's so hypocritical.